checking for me, no one checking on me, so I had to go run up a check. I got the message on me, get no flexing on me, my attorney gon' call it collect. All right, all right. We're back. This is the Closed Network Privacy Podcast, episode number 24. And have a very special episode. Special to me, at least. So it better be special to everybody else who's listening. Uh, I've got the hated one who has been on the podcast a few times before. And I'm also joined with Josh, who's known as Side of Burritos on YouTube, who I also have had on uh, in, in November. And we're back for a privacy threesome. Welcome, guys. Nice. <laughs> Hello. Happy to be here. <laughs> I, I don't, you know, it's not as happy as I'd expect for a threesome. You know, I mean, it's not very many times in life you get that opportunity, right? That's true. Especially I'm very one. excited. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe side of burritos, you know, I mean, he gets the guac and the sour cream on the regular. I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, it's possible, you know, so I'm excited. I'm for sorry, mom and dad, if you're listening. <laughs> Yeah, all apologies, right? Um, so, how you guys doing? Not bad, not bad. What about you guys? Yeah, doing well here. Yeah, um, yeah, been good. I mean, January has been uh, pretty chill. Nothing, nothing too crazy yet. And uh, I'm got a laundry list of things, of course, like to do items. Uh, not like New Year's resolutions. I stopped doing that like years ago, <laughs> just more like pers- personal growth goals, I-, I guess you could say, and trying to task them on my calendar so that I actually do them. One of them is learning to play guitar. And maybe one day I'll actually write in my own intro song so I don't have to rely on, you know, uh, artlist.io. <laughs> no affiliate, by the way. <laughs> it's just who I pay for, for the music. But maybe I could write my own song. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but yeah, yeah. January has been good so far. Um, I'm glad you guys took the time to jump on this episode. I always enjoy conversations with both of you and looking forward to this. Uh, and if, you know, things go, if everyone's happy, maybe we can try to do some regular stuff, uh, cause it's always more enjoyable, I think, than just listening to one person, uh, mumble into the microphone all the time. Uh, so to kick off things, I, I wanted to give everyone an opportunity to talk about, uh, their, their channel and their content and any particular directions that they're planning, that they're working on now or any, anything that they're working on that might be of interest. Um, Josh, with your YouTube channel, I've noticed you kind of started doing some switching out, you know, doing some stuff other than just Graphene OS. Do you have anything, uh, that you're working on that you want to reveal or is it all still in the secret lab? Uh, there's a couple things coming up. I'm working on building out a membership site. I was originally going to go the Patreon route, but every time I think about privacy and security and what people would want, I'm going with a self-hosted open source software solution. Uh, so that's been taking longer than expected, like everything in life. <laughs> that sounds pretty cool. Is there a particular uh, stack that you're going with for that, like a CMS stack or something? I settled on Ghost Blog. It's like a lightweight version of WordPress. I've I've played with it before. It's pretty slick. Yeah, it's quick. I like it. They just had the membership feature they launched, I think, within the last year or so. So it yes. integrates with Stripe and just doing some testing and figuring that out. 
That is very cool. Okay, so are you going to be doing um, just kind of like exclusive content there, or are you going to be doing like training guides, things of that nature? It'll be a little bit of that, and then some, not really much exclusive content, maybe like a monthly Q&A, but most will be early release, and then like an in-depth Q&A video guides if you want sort of thing, um, like whatever members request. Okay. And the other thing I'm going to do, which I got an idea from a, a coffee YouTube channel that I follow, it's membership competitions. So not so much uh, like drawings or contests because those are considered gambling and there's laws around that. So with competitions, a member has to you know answer a question or complete something. And then after that, I won't go into all the specifics how to be judged, but essentially I want to do like either a monthly or bi-monthly giveaway of you know, UBKs or Raspberry Pis or eventually a cell phone, something like that. Something to be like, hey, you know, feel free to support the channel, but you're not just donating money. Here's a nice little benefit if you want, if you can afford it. Sort sounds of thing. Pretty slick. Okay. That's cool. Um I mean it sounds like a, a good way to get engagement from people to kind of um flex their knowledge a little bit. Or is that is that the intended purpose to no, more so just like fun because it, oh, okay. it would be really nice to do like a drawing sort of thing if it wasn't considered gambling. So it's more like answer this easy question, you know, best answer wins and that person will get shipped, you know, whatever prize or something like that. Okay. Um, I really enjoyed your, uh, your NFT is just a URL video that you did a while back. Um, that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, some videos I make for the audience and some I make for myself. That was one for myself. For yourself. I kind of got that vibe, but I like, I really enjoyed it because, uh, as you know, anyone who listens to my podcast knows I, I'm a, I'm kind of a more pro crypto kind of fan. Um, the hated one and I have gone a couple rounds in the past about crypto, which has always been a, a good time for, you know, for both of us, I think. Uh, but the NFTs are kind of like in it, like somewhere where you draw a line in the sand. <laughs> I've always just been. So when I saw that, I just, uh, I just, cause just find myself laughing at your, your deadpan humor again in your, in your video, you know, cause you just, you just, oh, you just right click. Here you go. Here's the, here's the URL. It just lives in a, basically a, a probably an S3 bucket. <laughs> it's kind of like, here's your NFT, dude. Um, that was, that was classic. I enjoyed it. That was a lot of fun. Kind of just poking fun at it. Cause. Oh yeah. I don't know. I don't know what else to say at this point about it. Yeah, no, I think you said everything that needed to be said. Uh, so do you have a, um, a timeline you're aiming for to have like a alpha or soft launch of this platform you're building? I'm going for hopefully in a month or so. Okay. Is the plan. Okay, cool, cool. I'll be looking forward to checking that out once you get it going. Um, and are you going to be like, uh, hosting this? You're, you said you're going to be self-hosting your own platform. So are you going to be like doing it off of like, a like a virtual server or are you doing like a Raspberry Pi project or Kubernetes or anything, anything crazy? No, for now it's just sitting on a VPS yeah. that I have out there. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and thanks for the link, by the way, on Mastodon that you sent me for tracking down some Raspberry Pis. I uh, uh, have been searching, you know, where I can get Raspberry Pis and that, that was helpful. So mucho appreciation. Yeah, they're tough to find. What about you, hated one? What's what's cooking right now? Um, I 
I'm working on one project that I'm not sure if I should reveal at the moment, but okay. um, on my Patreon, I'm just continuously working on uh, regular privacy research. Um, at, at the latest, I'm just working on um, making educational podcast episodes on uh, a Linden privacy threat model, which is um, a methodology that people could use. I mean, it's for privacy engineers, but I'm kind of like repurposing it for um, general users to benchmark tools and products and projects and services against so that you can figure out a way to uh, consistently um, discern good stuff from the bad with, the, with regards to their privacy and security. And uh, I've been doing some some of my research uh, for like, uh, what, what was it? It was for password managers. I And I kind of enjoy that because I was looking for one that would be um, mostly appropriate for my use case. And also I share that research with my Patreon, so it's very cool. But I don't just focus on privacy and security. I also do investigations and uh, general interest research. And um, I'm not so much general interest. I'm focusing a lot on on stuff like um, uh, surveillance, big tech, uh, governments, uh, corruption, and uh, issues like that. So um, my channel is more... Uh, widespread in terms of topics that I cover, but uh, right now I'm working on on, a, on on another topic that's going to take me months to to complete, and I'm I'm just uh, I'm still at, at the humble stage where I don't even I, I'm not even sure if I'm going to be able to finish it given the low levels of my sanity at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, you, you, a lot of your content I can tell. I mean, the amount of research. And on top of the editing that goes into it, based just from the final product, as someone who has uh, been a content creator for a long time, and not just the space, but other areas, really understand how much time and, and effort goes into that. So um, I, I always, I always like the the quality over quantity. Um, and so, yeah, keep. I'm looking forward to seeing. Seeing some uh, new stuff drip onto the channel, which I see you're what you blew past the four hundred thousand subscribers. So you're like four fourteen, I think, the last time I checked. Um, so half a million here you come, right? <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> um, and Josh is kicking ass too. He's over ten thousand, man. That's awesome. You guys are you guys are uh, steadily growing. Which I, I look at these as metrics for like indicators for interest too. Like I go, I, I kind of keep tabs on like not just obviously subscribers. That's that's a pretty low level metric because I know a lot of people consume the content without subscribing uh, by far. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure you guys see it in your own you know uh, studio dashboards, but the views and the comments are oftentimes you know kind of like a a, a good metric for interest and kind of there's different things that pop up in the news that create like bursts of interest or traffic. Uh, if you check like Google trends and other, other, other areas that have to do around like privacy data breaches, T-Mobile getting breached again for like the eighth time in the last five years, I think, um, you, you know, these things keep popping up. And so I think it's, as it, as it hits more mainstream media outlets people start trying to find ways to protect themselves more and more. And I think it's going to be continuing on the rise, uh, at least, you know, just, just from my high level scientific research <laughs> of, of keeping a pulse on everything. Um, 
and just also seeing the growth of uh, the interactions that people come in for the closed network podcast, like our chat room, our Mastodon, all these different things. It's just like it's just a steady growth. People are finding these uh, topic, finding these you know channels. I'll, I'll just call them channels from different content creators based upon things that are either happening to them or happening to people they know, whether it's identity theft or it's uh, having their, you know, their accounts uh, breach. You know, there was a breach and their accounts are being compromised and they're trying to pick up the pieces and that kind of thing. So um, I'm, I'm always, I'm always interested. It's kind of what directions people are going and this is probably a good segue if you guys are okay with it to go into the privacy influencer space because the more that people are looking for this the you know the more it's kind of like a market it's it's a it's a market demand type of scenario where i think people are seeing an opportunity to be cranking out content and talking about these topics and I'll say privacy and security, though they're not mutually exclusive at all, but they kind of go hand in hand sometimes because depending upon your threat model, which sounds like the hated one is working on a way to help you develop what that is um, or should be, then that kind of dictates what path you go in both your hosted solution provider products and what things you might consider taking back to own yourself, like owning your own data or storing your own data somewhere where you control it, as well as operating systems for mobile phones and computers for personal and business use. Uh, Seeing more people having conversations within Reddit and within comments and YouTube channels around these topics that have to do with compartmentalization. I think that's um, a huge, uh, you know, factor to consider is compartmentalize. Uh, so I'm, I would, I'd love to kind of hear some of your thoughts on what privacy, specifically privacy, we'll talk about privacy influencers kind of roles are when it comes to responsibility within the community. And we kind of have this speculative or speculation (laughs) responsibility because that word might mean different things depending upon who you are. Um, But specifically as it pertains to pitching your own product or selling or, you know, a sponsored software solution or SaaS solution, whether it's like VPN or a a password manager solution um, and kind of using affiliate links to monetize that. So I guess in the greater scope is trying to create some sort of, um, litmus, if you will, that people can use to determine how much trust to per- put into a specific personality that they're consuming their content when it comes to how that individual is making money from the content. Because it's starting to bother me a little bit, <laughs> a lot in some cases. Um, and I'm trying not to, but at the same time, I want to be able to put up maybe not a stop sign, but a yield sign for people. So as they're going down their own individual privacy journey and they start doing more searches and coming across YouTube channels or podcasts to be able to understand that when they hear hear certain terms or kind of key phrases to at least put up a warning flag for themselves that 
there may be an ulterior motive. They may have good intentions. They may have good content. They may be talking about things that are true and important, but uh, is there potentially a, a sell in there as well, a pitch that may or may not be good for them? Um, I, if, if I may start. I Absolutely. Guess. <laughs> Absolutely. I, <laughs> I, I think there are three points that are pretty nuanced. They may sound contradictory to each other, but they are all true at the same time. And I think uh, one of them is that um, funding has uh, f- funding uh, source has no impact on the truth value or the validity of the arguments being made. That's true. What is also true is that um, you can both enjoy a piece of medium or, or an artist, a creator, whoever, but remain critical of some of their problematic aspects. And the percentage can, uh, you know, of the problematic aspects versus the ones that you like can vary, and you can still enjoy or, or, or consume the content that's up to you. Uh, if we criticize anyone or if anyone criticizes anyone at any point, it doesn't mean that it's binary. Now these people become bad or evil or not worthy anymore of our attention. And then the last point I, I would, um, I guess, I would say is that um, while it is true that funding source has no uh, discernible impact on the truth value of the statements being made, it is true that funding can skew or influence the public discourse and the opinion in the media and among um, authoritative sources. And what this does create is a sort of manufactured um, view of, for example, certain product, certain categories of products, for example, VPNs, virtual private networks, because of their powerful lobby that was on individual basis, basis of individual companies, we would see all of these sponsorships on YouTube and on all these other platforms about how you need to use a VPN and how it would protect your privacy and make you completely anonymous and secure and it will give you military-grade encryption. All of these um, half-truths or factoids have been used to skew people's opinion into signing up for these paid services without understanding uh, or having any reasoning behind them or trying to implement any threat model as to that, that would actually help them implement them in the, in a correct way. And what ended up uh, happening was that people were misled into thinking that just installing a VPN or using a VPN would make them private or secure. And now we have to do a lot of work to, you know, move people away from that wrong assumption. And a lot of people still have that. And, you know, we still have these affiliates and sponsorship. It's, but it's not just with the VPNs. It's also with plenty of other, uh, other ones. So I think this is the, the, these are the three starting points, at least for me, when I'm looking at this. And my uh, stance is on, on, is very hard line because I consider privacy and security to be extremely sensitive. They can sometimes even be life uh, uh, or, or threatening or they, they can be endangering someone. And because of that, I think the integrity of the source is essential and I think there should be no conflict of interest between the uh, inter- interpreter and the and the advice that is being said. So that means that whoever is tr- trying to tell you that you should use a certain tool 
or implement a privacy-enhancing technique, they should not be taking money of any sort, whether it's a sponsorship or affiliate or an investment from that organization, whether it's private or public, doesn't really matter. I understand that not a lot of people are concerned with this, but um, I'm thinking of, um, of many threat models on the global, worldwide level, and I think a lot of people cannot afford to trust someone who is taking money from generally reputable products but have several, several drawbacks that are not being brought into the discussion, not being told to these people because you know, they, don't want to look, they don't want to make their, their funders, their funding sources look bad or not good enough. That's my TED talk. I like it. Um, Josh, how about you? What's your, what's your gut reaction or gut feeling on privacy enthusiasts or influencers taking money or, or promoting services that they're either getting paid directly through sponsorship or passively through affiliate links or selling their own branded products? What's your take on that? So I guess kind of going back to one of the points mentioned by uh, THO. So if I'm talking about a topic or a tech, a tech topic and, you know, it's a product or whatever, and that person's giving me money, I think that's very disingenuous to the honesty that you can kind of say about that product. Uh, I don't have a ton of specifics about it, but for myself, what I decided from day one before anyone even knew who I was on the internet was that I wouldn't take any sponsorships from companies that were related to the industry. So one example that I I thought of the other day is, so I, I listened to Lex Friedman on his podcast. Yeah, great podcast. And one of his sponsors is Macadamia. I think it's what it's called. And basically they sell nuts online. So I'm like, okay, this guy, he, you know, he orders the nuts, he eats them, he enjoys their nuts, and then he is sponsoring them on his podcast. And to me, for someone in privacy and security, that would be a sponsorship I'd be okay taking because I don't think it has anything whatsoever you know, to relate to the actual topics at hand. And you can still preserve your integrity on what you talk about. That's, um, yeah, I mean, that's... I think everyone has their own line. I, I, I can see where you're coming from on that. Like I know um, earlier in our conversation before we hit the record button, you had mentioned, you know, uh, about coffee. I won't get into the details, but you know, that might be another example, right? Like I like to drink whiskey, bourbon. I, I like some scotches. If someone wanted to sponsor my podcast, if, if Buffalo Trace wanted to sponsor me, I'd have to think about it. <laughs> now, I don't know if that's ever going to, ever come about i i can guarantee you probably not but uh i can see where there may be there are lines are a little bit of a, adjusted when it's someone sponsoring or wanting more of a commercial because of your audience that has nothing to do with it versus uh having an episode that is exactly fits into uh the products that you kind of talk about or the solutions that you talk about and pitching that because they're sponsoring it. I think that for me personally, I've kind of adopted the no sponsorship model as well. Um, it's not one I came up with. It's one I adopted from a podcast I've listened to for a decade called no agenda podcast. 
Um, Adam Curry is the host of that podcast. He's been around a long time. And I always appreciated their model because they they kind of cover more stuff around um, de- basically they deconstruct the media and kind of break down uh, things that you consume in the media and what's actually happening, right? Like what's behind the scenes. So they call the people that support their podcast producers because they solely rely on those donations. So therefore, just like a movie where you have your executive producers who are hunting down the money and getting the money or, or funding a movie, they're basically responsible for it coming to fruition financially. And that's kind of how they look at it. And I really enjoy um, being a producer of, of their podcast. And I wanted to adopt that for myself. So that way I could also say anything I want about anything that I want without necessarily being directly impacted financially or burning bridges. Because uh, let's say I got a system 76 laptop, you know, I, I'm only, I'm just looking at one on my desk right now. So that just first thing that came to mind, it sort of fits within the, uh, the realm of this, this topic. If they wanted to sponsor my podcast, I would feel like I really couldn't say anything negative about their product. Uh, whether I thought it was good or bad, I feel like I'd ha- almost have like an obligation to say, you know, these are my thoughts and I can say what I want, but can you really, if I'm being paid to talk about it, uh, to pimp out, you know, this product on my show, um, that that's where I always start to be like, how, how far can I trust somebody and what they're saying and whether or not I can wholeheartedly take what they're saying as good advice if they're being compensated for specifically talking about that product or service. And I tend to lean with the hated one on this where it's like, there's just fundamentally that's a, it's a block. Um, and I, I, you know, I struggle because on the one hand, a lot of people, you know, you need to, especially people that do this kind of like full time and rely on it for a source of income. You can definitely make a lot more money if you monetize your, your content through traditional means and taking sponsorships and doing affiliates. You can actually, make a lot more money. But I feel like it loses some authenticity to a degree from that individual because I don't it's it's like if you watch ever watch the news and they had like they have like paid placement native ads within their news segments and sometimes it's hard to decipher but they're actually being paid by a corporation for them to do a air quotes, like a story about something that's actually like spot sponsored content. And I kind of look at it as like that. It's like, well, you're just saying this because you're getting paid, right? I mean, you're not going to say anything negative if you're getting paid because then they wouldn't pay you to do it. So, so I have to just take it at face value that you're, you know, truly believe in this particular product or service. And what happens if it sucks or it's, not actually good for you. Uh, what if you're pitching LastPass or if you were pitching FTX, right? And then there's these problems that come about. It's kind of like now you're associated to this, you're linked. You're kind of indirectly, but you're still linked to something where people might have suffered or got hurt or exposed because you promoted it because you got paid to promote it. As opposed to- That's where I think uh, okay. privacy and security is in like a different bucket. Because if I watch a productivity YouTuber and they say sign up for Skillshare, okay, you know, 
whatever, I'll try out the site, try out the service. But I feel like there's an inherent responsibility in privacy and security. Maybe that's just me. But it seems like there's a different level of responsibility in what you do and say and how you demonstrate that. I'm, I'm very surprised by your responses. I, I think we are probably one of the few ones that ha- hold these views on this because almost everyone else pretty much that I know of is taking some kind of private um, funding from the very companies that they are supposed to be critically covering and reviewing. Is, is this what you guys think as well? Josh, I'll let you go ahead first. It seems like a lot of people do take a lot of money from different places. Uh, I mean, me personally, that's just how I see it with what I would be willing to accept. But, you know, the common one is seeing the VPN sponsorships. It seems like that's always a big one, especially in tech. And I always did wonder why when I first started. But about six months ago, I got an email from a VPN saying, hey, if you can plug our VPN we'll give you $70 a referral. And I'm like, well, that's why people are doing it because the referral fee is so high. You know, if you're going to sell out, sell out for a high price. And so after seeing that, it kind of paints a picture even better of just, you know, how willing are you to talk bad about the person giving you all this money and actually critique them or promote it that you think is something good? Yeah. Um, I, I see the same thing. Um, and from people that I would re- I would say I respect in the space, um, Michael Bazell, right? Go ahead and I'll name some people, and, and it's not a target. It's it's more just for context. Uses affiliate links, also sells books. Selling books, selling your own content is one thing. I kind of I'm okay with that. I I think it's even okay to you know sell your own merch if you want. If you're doing direct sale, you know stuff like that. Um, I think it's kind of cool. But when it starts going into pitching a specific product or service uh, or or selling your own, and I don't understand the entire back end, and maybe <laughs> I have something in mind that I'm really trying to avoid mentioning, but uh, Naomi Brockwell, she does uh, NBTV on YouTube. Great content, by the way. Uh, she does a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of great topics, and she breaks it down for beginners, people who are not super technical on like how to protect yourself. So she does security content and she does privacy content. I've noticed lately that a lot of her videos are marked as fundraiser. And I think that's different, right? I think it's different if you're building a community that's come together to chip in, like everyone's chipping in a little bit to help fund this as a project and keep it going because that's 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 people who are directly saying I want to see you succeed I want to see you keep moving forward with this I personally want to donate and contribute whether it's a monthly subscription a Patreon membership a fundraiser YouTube fundraiser of some kind or they're doing donations directly through a myriad of different solutions whether it's you know buy a cup of coffee thing through a website or a tip jar or sending cryptocurrency directly to that person I I I fully think that's great. I think that's fantastic. Uh, versus, Hey, uh, you know, closed network privacy podcast brought to you by, uh, proton VPN, you know, sign up at proton VPN, use closed network for 10%. That is what I have a problem with because now this is a product within the space 
it's a huge it's a it's a huge brand that everyone's going to know and now i'm linking my credibility uh to them whether i actually think they're good or not i mean i'll, I'll disclose i have a paid proton vpn account right but i but that's but that's a choice i've made for myself if i say hey I, it's been a good service and so far so good and if you're looking for a good solution it might be a good fit for you along with you know mulvat or ivpn um check them out, you know, or roll your own, run a, a Linode server for five bucks a month or DigitalOcean and install OpenVPN and run your own. I, I'd actually recommend that probably just as much because then you're actually controlling your own VPN uh, service, right? But I can say those things because I have no, I don't benefit monetarily in any way from any of those companies. I can just say what I've had a good experience with or a bad experience. But if I am sponsored by Proton VPN then I'm not going to tell you that it's bad. And I'm doing it. I feel like I'd be doing a disservice to anyone that's consuming my content. If I'm taking money from any of these companies directly uh, or indirectly through affiliate links. There, there are some people who are trying to portray this degree of separation. And they say that they will never take sponsorship for uh, that specific piece of content that they are making about them. So meaning they would take sponsorship from Proton, uh, the company, the Proton VPN mail, whatever, but not when they're reviewing their products somewhere. (laughs) They they would put that sponsorship Uh, somewhere else. What, what, yeah, go ahead. I think it's, I I think it's horseshit. Honestly, I I think it's, I think it's, I think it's still uh, two faced, right? Uh, One of my, one of, one of the channels like I enjoy consuming passively is the Linux experiment. Uh, I enjoy using Linux. I use Linux on different machines, mostly servers, but I have it on desktops too. And I like his channel because it's good content. It's well-produced. But I was watching, I don't know how recent it was. It was I think it was a video in the last couple of days where he's talking about System76 is releasing because I, it was a topic that I'm interested in. I own a System76 Oryx Pro laptop that I purchased. And he, you know, he was talking about they're releasing an AMD version, which is cool. That's actually awesome that they're doing that. So AMD processors and AMD GPUs, which is great because Linux plays much better with uh, AMD uh, GPU GPUs than NVIDIA, right? For instance. So uh, I was like, oh, cool. And then he's then he, then he at the end of the video, he's like, yeah. And he's like, I'm working out. I'm working with System76. They're probably going to send me a demo model, so I'll be able to do content about it. And I'm like, instantly, like, well. Okay, on the one hand, I kind of feel like, well, damn, are you actually going to say anything if it's not great? Because I have a few things that I have bad experiences with with uh, hardware manufacturers. Purism, one of them. I've bought a Librem 13. I have their Librem 5, which is an outdated Game Boy type of phone. I can say that because I paid for it. So, I, But the, on the one hand, I want to hear his honest opinion because these laptops are expensive. So if he gets a laptop, A... It's kind of cool because then he'll he'll be able to bring to market content about it to, for consideration purposes, right? Do I want to purchase this down down the road? But on the other hand, I'm like, well, damn it! Since they're sending it to him, does this mean that he's not going to say anything bad? Uh, you know, so is it going to be an honest review of this particular laptop? I I'm torn in that scenario, and I don't know if he's getting paid or they're just sending him to him like, hey, check this out and make some content. We you know, cool, but like. You know, so it's like you want people to be able to do reviews on the stuff, but either A, you would have to wait for someone to pay for it on their own and do a review, 
and hopefully it's you know it's good if you're looking at buying it if it's bad then it saved you 1500 bucks or possibly more two grand or more uh, but it, on the other hand, I don't know if he's going to be totally genuinely honest about the laptop if they sent it to him for free and he like gets to keep it or if they paid him to do it, you know? So it's, it's also a chicken and an egg kind of thing sometimes, uh, when it comes to hardware, I think it's a little different with like VPNs because it's just a piece of software and it's who gives a crap really. Uh, it's not like a, an expensive hardware device. Um, we talk the three of us uh, have content about Graphene OS. Well, Graphene OS only runs on Google Pixels. So we're not like promoting the sale of Google products, but someone might be able to say, well, all these guys talk about is buying a Google Pixel phone, right? I mean, we're not getting paid. I mean, if we are, then you know, you guys are really good about hiding it, which props to you. But uh, we're not getting paid by Google to pimp the Pixel. It's just that it happens to be the only device that you can run Graphene OS on. Um, and it also happens to be fantastically secure with the Titan chip and the Enclave and the way that all of your, you know, the uh, access to your, to unlocking the information on that phone is protected. I know I'm kind of getting into the weeds, but I feel like if, if I give some kind of like specifics, then it helps construct some of the conflicts that I can see that people have. I still stand on like, I, I personally uh, don't, don't want to take any money from anybody. Um, but I, I don't know if, if system 76 and said, well, we don't want to pay you, but will you just try it out and give us your feedback? I might do that, but I might not make any content on it at all. I don't know. Right. I, it's like, what do you, what do you do in that scenario? Um, you know, as far as like review stuff, I feel like someone in privacy and security pimping out a VPN is similar to the, fitness YouTuber that's like, Hey, this is the best protein powder I ever had who got paid by a sponsorship. That's why I, it's very tough, tough to trust when these sponsors in the same industry, you know, if the fitness YouTuber is promoting the newest system 76 laptop, it's like, whatever. Okay, cool. They probably like it. But if you're in tech, you, you don't have that, that gap. Yeah. So they hated one. What would you do if, if, uh, if system 76 hit you up and wanted, wanted to send you their, their newest AMD laptop, would you, how would you feel about that? Um, I think they can send me a review item. That's fine. Um, but I would not be signing any sort of contract with them. Um, when I was desperate enough, I, I was trying to contact some, some companies, but eventually it never led anywhere because I realized, well, if I do this, then how can people ever trust me that, um, whatever I'm, I'm saying is, is all that needs to be said, said about that, that particular product. And it's always a thing. And I think you hit the nail on the head right there. And, um, at at the moment I, I completely agree with, uh, Josh, because, um, if I was looking for a sponsor, I would be looking for one that is not related to the, the products that I'm covering. I want to be able to recommend any privacy enhancing technique without any second thoughts about it whatsoever. No uh, financial agenda behind it whatsoever, just pure advice. And that's it. So what is your feeling if uh side of burrito starts selling his own phone and his own operating system, custom ROM? <sighs> um, I mean, 
Uh, it's not gonna make him a worse person because of it. Uh, I right. mean, he could be g- genuinely nice person in private life, but uh, I would probably, um, you know, tune out because um, if he was reselling a Graphene OS phone, even like with his like whatever logo, that that's fine, I guess. But you know, if it's his own project from top to bottom and he doesn't really have a solid team behind it. Um, then I would be very skeptical. So I, I think I would be asking the same questions that I ask of any project, and I would be going through the same privacy methodology. And I think I would find problems in there that wouldn't be present in my most favorite um, operating system, which is Graphene OS. So for me, it would be very redundant, and I would I would not like that idea that um, um, you know somebody somebody who's who's uh, proclaiming to give it advice is. Uh, is um, uh, constraining their advice around around that product that they need to sell. Right. Uh, yeah, it's... I feel like that's almost like maybe, the, the next layer of uh, shadiness. <laughs> like, to a degree. Like, I, I have sold Graphene OS phones in the past uh, as a service because there are people that want that phone and... Now the installers have gotten way better. The web installer works almost every single time I've used it. But before that, it was a little trickier to download the right image and, and use ADB to get it flashed, you know, unlock the phone and all that fun stuff. So some people were like, I just, I want a pixel when I want Graphene OS on it. I just don't, they don't have the technical, you know, chops to basically install it. So um, I, I think that's a, that's, I think it's a great, you know, way to help people for sure. Um, there's a personality on YouTube that sells their own, basically from what I gather, their own version of lineage OS or their own custom rolled version of lineage OS on a handful of different devices and kind of has, you know, branded their own OS name around it. They also sell hardware VPNs based around the same concept. They have their own social network, uh, which isn't, to my understanding, it's not like a Fediverse, like a Mastodon type of thing. It's something that's more uh, isolated to, I, I don't know that for sure. I've not signed up on it, so I might be speaking out of my uh, realm here. But m- where I'm going with this is like in the beginning, I talked about flags being raised for people who are watching or listening to different privacy personalities and what things to kind of look out for. Not that it's all necessarily terrible, but it may be influenced because of a specific monetary outcome that it benefits them. And that's what I want to raise awareness for. And that's why I wanted this topic to kind of be within our, our our conversation to get your perspective. So people who are listening to this can apply their own way of thinking and spotting things as you know, hey, uh, okay, maybe this person's just pitching this because they're making money from it directly or they're affiliate for that person, you know, this company and that kind of thing, which, so there's a bias there. And I think that's more what I really wanted to highlight than anything else is I don't like the feeling if there's a bias that I detect within the content from that particular personality. And it gives me the 
kind of like a letdown feeling a little bit because it's kind of like there might be some really good meat within the content that's uh, informative and applicable. But if uh, sometimes it turns into like what feels like a bait and switch a little bit. And there's been drama within communities as well, uh, which I've kind of talked about in the past, which is never really good for the community overall, but it tends to push people in creating alliances, almost like a, um, I won't call it a cult, but you know, kind of a cultish mentality where it's like, uh, you've seen between Calyx OS and Graphene OS, uh, arguably mistakes made on both sides. And also not just between those teams, but people who are leaning towards one team or another, uh, that kind of jump into the mix and start kind of bashing on each other. Whether who's in the right or wrong, I don't, it doesn't really matter. It's just never good to have that kind of dissension uh, within the community, especially when so many people are looking at this going like, well, which, which one do I go with then? Or which route, do I, which route do I take? Which one's best for me? As opposed to what's, uh, what's best aligned with who their kind of alliance is with, whether it's Team Techlore or Team Braxman or Team Mental Outlaw uh, you know, these are just personalities on YouTube that have content on these things and people can be swayed by that influence from those personalities. And I guess what I'm trying to do is equip people with some kind of a bullshit meter for lack of a better term, uh, to know when something's benefiting the person who's telling you or when it's actually benefiting you as an individual. If, you know, so I struggle with this, finding a balance and, and helping people figure out, you know, kind of like how to qualify something. Um, what, what would be like some advice you guys might give? Josh, we'll start with you. For me, I might butcher this anal- analogy but I kind of look at it, look at it as marketing. So if, if you're top of funnel, all your topics are privacy, security, phones, computers, and your bottom of funnel, like what you're trying to get the viewer to go to is some product you sell every single time. And you answer the question every time with your product answers, everything. Then to me, that's a big red flag when somehow, you know, everything you talk about is always about the monetary gain of some, you know, hardware service that you're selling. I think it's different when your top of funnel is get people in for the topics and then direct them towards your sponsorship or membership site or Patreon. That's different than something you're, you made or you're selling all the time. Okay. So and you, you, you had some journey, if I may ask, Um, I, I listened to the episode that you had together on the closed network podcast and you, you mentioned something about your choice be- between um, Graphene OS and Calyx OS. And um, I, I wanted to know more about how um, you made that decision. What was your thought process? And how long did it take you to, to go for one instead of the other? I don't think it took me too long. I probably spent a couple of weeks going, going over the different OSs. And what I settled on was seeing what the what the actual project was promoting and who was promoting it and what they were saying about it. In terms of 
Graphene OS, when I saw that, I saw, you know, they were presenting real problems with actual solutions versus, you know, some situations I didn't really think were relevant that had these magical answers to them. I'm trying to think of a good way to put it without insulting a project. Um, Are you trying not to say anything bad about micro G? Attempting to, I don't, I don't know enough about, I don't know enough about it in depth to say something about it, but the graphene OS, the project I saw, there's a lot of, you know, in the past, I think the community had a bad rap or some of the responses they gave out. So, you know, I went and read a lot about it. I went and read a lot of those. And to me, once you get past maybe the harshness of it, there were a bunch of great points in there. And as someone who's supported a bunch of free customers at a company I worked for, I can understand how frustrating it gets dealing with uh, people that feel entitled in their opinions. I don't know if that answers the question at all. Yeah. And did you, did you try both of them like in, in real life and some sort of, you know, um, driver that you do not use on daily basis or did you make this decision purely on, on, uh, written research? I started with the written research and then I tried them both for about two weeks and then decided from there. Okay. And do you, do you still see the relevance uh, I don't want to be mean, you know, but do you still see the relevance of the of the inferior product when you have something that is clearly and objectively so much more secure and private? I mean, you know. <laughs> no, I actually have videos on the the other OSs that I tried, and I've been debating on either redirecting those or or making them private, just because I don't want to not promote, but I don't want to have something out there that you know, has me behind it saying that it might be kind of good or that I tried it or used it, or I think I suggested it in one video for people that weren't as technical. And so, yeah, at this point I don't see any need for it. Okay. Because I, I, I think this is, this is where we might agree a lot. And I'm, I'm surprised because, you know, um, close network is someone who really tries everything. He, he wants to tinker with every new thing that come, comes up. And I'm the guy who goes for the, the very best thing and doesn't care about whatever is beneath. And, and I, I, you know, I'm, I'm looking for a soulmate who would <laughs> support me in this position <laughs> because, <laughs> because, uh, I, I'm, you know, when, when, when I, when I saw graphene OS and I saw how well they were doing things, I was like, why would anyone want to suggest anything else as an alternative? There is no other alternative. Like, this is what we needed. It is the most important project of all at the moment for privacy and security. So, yeah, kind of, yeah. And for me, I started in 2018 with Lineage OS on a OnePlus 3T. And I migrated... And I took, and it was a tinker toy. I was just experimenting and playing with it. I didn't really get serious about my my mobile device, my my phone, until about three years ago. And I actually tried Graphene OS, but I had a lot of problems uh, having certain apps work at all and notifications not working. So I went to Calyx OS because of MicroG. And it provided the functionality that I was looking for. It had that it had that gap fill, and only in the last uh, 
year, year and a half, right? Graphene OS, when it implemented the sandbox Google Play service environment where you could actually sandbox, you know, it has a sandbox in the apps. You don't need micro G running. Um, I like switched back to Graphene OS and I was like, okay, now this is because everything worked the way I needed. Now I have some very, I, I push, I push these things to the edge with as much as that I can do with it, both in a personal and a professional. So mostly that what I'm pushing the limitations to are in the professional side, meaning like, can I run my work email? Can I connect to office 365? Can I connect to a Google apps, uh, email account? Can I use Slack? Can I use Trello? Can I use, you know, all of those types of things. And where Graphene OS now is like light years ahead of where it was the first time I tried it, which is why I even messed with Calyx. And I don't see why anyone would, at this point in time, I'll just say, I don't see why anyone would run Calyx OS on their phone. I, I don't get it. If, if your goal is to be truly de-Googled and your goal is to have the most secure that a consumer can have. Um, I'm not talking like military grade NSA stuff. I'm talking like what an everyday person can have access to uh, made, made possible by these projects, which I'm grateful for. Then why would you not go with graphene OS? And I know there's a lot of listeners out there who like, because of work reasons or whatever, have to have an iPhone or a stock Android phone. I get that. That's not exactly what I'm talking about. I'm talking about if your primary objective is like the hated one is I want the best. You want the best possible outcome, the best possible security and privacy that you can have on a mobile phone. I don't know why you would choose anything other than Graphene OS at this point in time. I could see why you know, going beyond a year and a half to two years ago, why Calyx OS might have still made sense because of its compatibility with other applications, notifications, like if you wanted to use Uber and Lyft and all that other stuff. But now, I, I don't know. I don't know why you would. I don't know why you would choose it. And, and I'm a Calyx OS sustainer. Like, I, I'm not bashing on them for the sake of bashing on them. I have a subscription using their hotspot. I overall uh like want to see them try harder <laughs> be better because i like options i like experimenting i think it's fun to try out different things that's why i'm on a different linux distro every two weeks because i can't make up my mind i like jumping around i like screwing with stuff but when it comes to the phone why compromise at all uh when you can just have the best already N- not a paid sponsorship. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> when it when it comes to the to the desktop, the, like the answer there is pretty easy. Like if you're serious about security and privacy, go use Cubes OS. Sure, but yeah. if you're serious about about your sanity and your everyday life, you also don't want to use Cubes OS because right. it will just get in your way so much that it becomes unusable if you need any productivity whatsoever. Correct. I mean, if you are a sadist or a masochist, rather. <laughs> Or I don't know which one is is the one that I'm thinking of. Uh, I, I didn't mean for this to get so sexual. Uh, so, so I think sexual is good, know. man. It's good for the rankings. <laughs> yeah, it is for sure. But you know, um, the person that that likes to hurt themselves, you know, for pleasure. That's a that's that's a masochist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. That that one. You see, you know, you're more educated than this. <laughs> uh, I just I just searched it real fast while you were talking because <laughs> I did, I forgot which okay. one. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. So if you are that person, then then you will probably enjoy Cubes OS very much. But you know, on mobile, it you know you don't have this constraint with Graphene OS because it's just user friendly. Like there's no issue. Like the hardest thing that you will ever go through with Graphene OS is the installation process. And right now, it's just if you can install any program, you can install Graphene OS. Yes. So you yes. know that's. That's kind of like uh, that's kind of like my my point, and and I you know we were talking about like sponsorships and conflict of interest and stuff, so I think it's worth mentioning that you know Graphene OS has at least to my knowledge you can correct me if I'm wrong never done any sponsorship or any affiliate program with creators, and other custom ROMs you know Calyx has done that, and there are creators that have promoted them because of it. Mm-hmm. And these creators would then also go out of their way to recommend against Graphene OS. So I'm, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm very cynical. And and, and, and this ties and this ties directly back into the, the the main topic of conversation with with influencers, people who are making content to influence your decision to go with a particular uh, mindset or a solution, and those influencers have been caught up with pimping one over the other because of an affiliation. And again, that bothers me. It doesn't like trigger me, but it just makes me kind of discount some of the other stuff that they say or, or kind of consume it passively with a grain, a big grain of salt sometimes. Um, I'm specifically talking about Henry at TechLore, right? <laughs> like, I'm not gonna, I'm not like, okay, I'm not bashing. I, I, I think he does. I'm not gonna name, but Henry. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it, honestly, it's okay. I, I, I'm okay with saying that because I'd, I'd be okay with somebody having a problem with something I'm saying or doing. I would want it brought to my attention. I really would, and I would hope that, um, you know, I, I'm a, I'm the type of person where it's like, yeah, I get stuff wrong. i I can't know it all, uh, but I won't promote something because of an influence or an, an alliance. I have actually more financial alliance to the Calix Institute because for a couple of years now, I've been paying for their unlimited hotspot plan, which was awesome. And I got like t-shirt and stickers and whatever, all the swag from them. Um, and, but I don't run Calyx OS on my phone. <laughs> I run Graphene OS and I'll tell people like, yeah, you should run Graphene OS. Um, because I don't have any, I don't have any ties that I have no, I have, I have no obligation to say anything good or bad. It's just like, so when I say, when I observe these, I mean, a, a year ago, TechLore even made it. It's, the reason why, I mean, he has a video on his channel specifically kind of highlighting uh, the reasoning behind like their, the nuances with the between the teams, right? So it's not like this isn't like public record, public information out there. I'm just trying to uh, create some easy pathways for anyone listening to like where we come to these conclusions, if you will, uh, or these uh, viewpoints. Uh, it's not, you know, to, it's not meant with any malice. It's just purely observation and saying, hey, people who are on this path to increasing their personal uh, privacy by defining a threat model and implementing solutions in their life to meet that threat model's uh, goals and objectives. When you're consuming all this content, people who are t- you know making content on this particular subject matter, 
be mindful that there are some alliances, sponsorships, there's money that's traded hands, there's uh, the stuff is, you know, the stuff happens. It's actually quite normal, but it shouldn't influence your decision because of it. So just be a smarter consumer is really what it is for me. And when I talked, you know, about, I rattled off a bunch of, um, these YouTubers, they get stuff wrong. I get stuff wrong. We all get stuff. We're all human. Uh, but at the same time, uh, don't you know some of the things that they're doing may not be a hundred percent not ethical, but like uh, in line with your threat model solutions and goals. It may be in line with their uh, annual revenue goals. <laughs> uh, is that a nice way to say it? I'm not sure. Uh, you can hit another me. part on that since we're yeah, on the open source topic. Um, the reason I like tech is there's not much emotion in it. Like this either works and does what it says or it doesn't. This is a fact. This is a fact, but it seems like for some reason there's a lot of emotion tied to open source. So even if something is, you know, the better product, there's all this emotion that goes into it on the back end. Like, well, I decided on this because, you know, I believe in their mission, which I can understand that. But if there's something inferior, but they have a better mission, that doesn't mean it's a better choice. That's a good point. Is there anything in particular that you have in mind? I think a little bit between F-Droid and Calyx. Well, more so F-Droid. People are diehard loyal fans to that. I'm willing to question anything that I put out there, which I think most people should. But a lot of people don't even seem willing to entertain a thought that something they love might have issues or might not be the best. Yeah, Avdroid is is a good example of a project that has good mission because we need something that has that mission. We need to be able to download apps securely, privately, and anonymously from a repository that can be trusted. And Avdroid is, you know, they they have that mission, but they're they're failing. And they're not great right. about taking uh, feedback either. Like people defend it to the death, even if you have facts. You know, too much emotion comes into it. I feel like. So do you have any experience on your end? I made one video about F-Droid. I saw that. Or a couple, actually. Uh, kind of going over some of the shortcomings of it. And the quick comments I got, which were funny, it's almost, yeah, I didn't confirm this, I'm just assuming. These people defending the project to the death, I would respond with a couple paragraphs about why they were incorrect or why I didn't disagree, and then... I guess since the my response was so good, they would delete their comments and it would just disappear from the page. So just kind of that interaction. I haven't experienced that with any other topic I made. It's also my most disliked video on YouTube, which is kind of funny. Um, so kind of that, I guess, is where I'm coming from. Yeah, I, I think s- something similar similar happened to when I made a video on how desktops and, I mean, desktop operating systems and environments are not... Um, secure and mobile operating systems are more secure. And this is something that um, if you, if you say that in an open open source community or a privacy community, even they're going to crucify you for that. But you know, it is, it is a pretty factual statement and um, maybe, maybe it's the, the, maybe the problem is the community, but um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I I didn't have this experience that you, you mentioned. I'm not very uh, social with these projects. I'm looking from look, looking at them from the user perspective and tech perspective, but you know it is true that you know 
as as strange as it might seem for a lot of people, probably most, if not all, um, it is better to use you know Google Play Store with a Google account that they created pseudonymous pseudonymously than to stick with Android. And if you say something like that, recommended a Google product for your, to enhance your privacy and security. It sounds like something that you should be crucified for, but it is, at least in my opinion, it is true. Mm-hmm. So what, and it's a, funny you, what about Aurora, though, in that context? What would your response be? Instead of using a pseudonymous account on a Google account to download from Play Store directly, what would, what would there be an argument for or against or indifferent on using Aurora as a replacement? So Aurora stuff a problem that, that Android introduced artificially. That uh, is the problem with the signing keys. And what it results in uh, from the user perspective is that you can have different versions of the same app installed across different profiles because of how Android handles the signing keys. Um, and this is an annoyance that uh, basically makes it um, impossible to use both um, the Play Store applications and and Android applications. Um, maybe this is a rare um, case or scenario, but it is very rele- relevant to me. So Aurora solves that. So you could have, you know, you, if you just rely on Aurora, that's fine. The problem with Aurora is that I haven't found a way to install it in a, sec- in a secure and verifiable way. There are missing uh, PGP keys. There are also missing uh, uh, hash files. I don't know how to verify the original APK file. If there is a way out there, please let me know. I'm confused. There is a way to install Aurora through Android, but then you have to verify Android first. And I don't want to just trust an application on first use that I cannot verify and then handle all of the updates for my applications. I'm, I, I think Aurora is the, the second best solution to the Play Store when it comes to your security. I think it's better than Android. Josh, I agree. It's, Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. It's better than Android. And when it goes to, you know, comparing Google Play to Aurora, I think one of the main issues with Aurora is just the shared accounts. I haven't looked much into it and what, you know, someone could do with it, but you are technically sharing Google accounts with, with other people to download the apps when you do the anonymous login. So that's one thing I'm, I don't really know about. I still use Aurora, but I'm debating on switching to a different uh, phone setup using just Google Play. Yeah, there is there is a way to install um, or uh, Google Play and use it completely anonymously without ever giving Google your real IP address, which is the the most difficult data point to get rid of from the very beginning. Um, you would have to get a VPN service, uh, download an APK to your phone, verify that. Only very few VPN, only two actually uh, make it make this um, setup possible. So you first install the VPN, and then you install um, Google Play Store on Graphene OS. And that way, you can create a Google account. You will skip the verification process when they ask for your phone number. You can skip it if you choose a good server that sounds like it has not been used very much. You should not be requested for a phone number. You go ahead and create an account. And then you're free to install any apps as, as many as as you want from Google completely. I would say pseudonymously because over time Google 
could possibly create a profile, but on Graphene OS, it'll be a lot harder. They're not going to get access to, well, you know this stuff. They're not going to not going to have access to the hardware I, or identifiers, for instance. And um, this is a way you, c- you could go about it. So knowing this, do, do you think this would be a satisfactory setup for uh, your threat model? Or do you think something like, or you, like Anonymous Aurora would, would still be better? For my threat model, I think the Google setup is better. And why, why do you think so? I mean, truth be told, I don't have that high of a threat model for what I have going on. Um, and I know, you know, people don't like to admit it, but I don't see Google as much of a threat while using Graphene OS. You know, if I'm on my Google Chrome browser signed in, searching the web, everything like that, that's one thing, but the implementation on that OS, I feel much better using it that it doesn't affect my personal privacy as much. So, I mean, it is a lot better. I mean, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, um, I don't use Aurora um, for my Pixel. Let's just assume I just installed it with Graphene OS. I download Afterwrite first. But the reason I do that is to get Orbot. And then I install the Google. Uh, play services, sandbox services inside, you know, I, I, through using the Graphene OS apps. And then I just basically redirect all traffic from anything that's Google related through Orbot instead of downloading um, a VPN that I can verify the signature on first, which that's actually a good route to go to. I didn't think about that. That would make sense. Um, I basically just rely on Orbot to route everything through Tor. And so when I'm using Google Maps or I'm using Google Play, all it's always on and it's going through Orbot. Um, that's worked for me, but I don't know if that's necessarily the most efficient route. It is a very solid route, but uh, I mean, Orbot is, is excellent, it's free, and also you can verify it. It's possible to verify the APK, so you don't necessarily have to go through the Android repository. Although, how do you verify the F-Droid APK then? Or do you verify? Uh, I verify the F-Droid APK from their website. But the, the Orbot app, I didn't verify inside of F-Droid. I just downloaded it, assuming okay. that it was yeah. probably safe. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. Yeah, but, that works too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, but that... <clears throat> but that is kind of like a, it's kind of like my back backup to, so I don't always run an always on VPN on my phone. I found that um, it has had problems because I do have banking apps on my phone and it's caused some issues when I use those. And I have a business account that I log into and it kind of just, it kind of creates a hurdle sometimes. Um, if I'm on a public Wi-Fi uh, I tend to, cause I have a, an always on VPN at home and it doesn't seem to have any problems with that. But when I run it on my phone, it does seem to have problems for whatever reason. So I've just basically, re, you know, use any apps that I don't want to have direct access to my IP. You know, I just run it through Orbot. Um, and surprisingly, it doesn't seem slower 
even running Google Maps because I mean it's just you know it's just doing data requests to get the map information and everything, but it's going through Orbot. So my thought process is well, it's just one more layer that I've put between me and Google uh, between my device. It might yeah, just that be, Orbot layer can, you know, can be potentially even more anonymous than the VPN layer. That's true because it's constantly going to be changing its exit exit node you know where it's coming from whole whole circuit yeah 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 so um which actually might be a good segue into tour i mean i know we've been talking about that and i'm not saying we are done with the privacy influencer stuff i think that i've kind of stated some of my concerns um around that and it's really just more of like a i wouldn't even call it a psa but just kind of a hey uh use use critical thinking skills when you're consuming content from these different outlets, whether it's YouTube or podcasts, um, wherever rumble, wherever, wherever you're getting your information from and be cognizant of any sales pitch (laughs) when you're, uh, you know, watching or listening and understand that there may be a hopeful ulterior desire that would result in a, in a net positive monetary uh, result for them. Uh, and in a, a, a long kind way, I'm saying some people are getting paid to shill uh, certain products and services and just, you know, be aware of it and, you know, kind of do with that as you may. Everyone's listening is probably old enough to make their own decisions. I'm not trying to tell anyone how to live their life. That's uh, the opposite of what I want to do. Right. It's just more about like, hey, understand how people are making money. And so when you're supporting what they're doing, understand that it, you know there may be more than meets the eye, so to speak, when it comes to the recommendation of whatever whatever it is you're buying into. I think one thing to add on that, which kind of goes into another topic I was thinking about. So having hesitancy to trust someone and what they're recommending, I think it's also important to look into what they're not recommending. So I made a video a couple of days ago where I said, or I tested out stock Android OS, I said that I liked the now playing feature. And according to the documentation that Google had, all audio processing takes place on device. It's not sent to their servers. Right. And one of the first comments I got was, oh, you can't trust a big mega corporation. They're lying even if they say it in their documentation, blah, blah, blah. And I can understand the sentiment towards that, or even the other YouTubers. Well, not that part yet. So I can understand their sentiment to be, you know, don't trust a big corporation. Okay. But I think it's unethical as someone in privacy and tech to kind of spread this story of, you know, it's a big corporation. It's bad. It doesn't matter what they say. It just seems like a very, to me, irresponsible way to portray them without any proof whatsoever. Cause then it makes someone like me who wants to base my videos off fact, even that much more difficult to try and prove my point because I have people who you know, are believing you. I don't know how to convince someone who has it in their head that they're just all bad without any proof. There's a lot of conjecture out there regarding that. Uh, there's even current FUD right now regarding Apple with scanning files on your, on Mac OS and for CSAM or whatever. And uh, I've actually seen it on Lewis Rossman's channel. I've seen it on mental outlaws channel and it's in fact not true. Uh, if you, you know, do some more digging and research into it now is Mac OS is app is the operating system transmitting telemetry to Apple hundred percent. Yes. 
right? But within the specific point, uh, there actually there are services that run that do network calls to fulfill the functionality of the operating system and handing off files, handing off to other devices, airdrop, doing spotlight search, especially because Apple allows you to index text within images, uh, which is why if you press and hold on a photo, you can highlight text in a photo and copy it and paste it somewhere else. Well, it has to do a network call. There's a lot of there's a lot of functionality components that are running, but every but this researcher jumped to the conclusion that like, oh, they must be scanning all your files. When in fact, uh, it, it's not. Yes, but but not not in the context for like CSAM or or checking hashes on those files against known known content. It's actually just been around for years. It's been doing that uh, to be able to allow all the features of uh, macOS to work with iOS. So. And I, I will have references to these. We don't have to go into the weeds on this. Um, I will have references in in the show notes for people that want to check out what what I'm referring to. Um, but like we all kind of have, I think, a general uh, vibe against big tech companies that are uh, corporate surveillance machines for profit, right? Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that every uh, feature is evil like inherently evil, right? Uh, there's a lot of really good stuff that, that Google's been doing lately. A lot of like on-device management, uh, whether it's uh, like you're talking about specifically with the um, now, now, now playing feature uh, or indexing stuff on the phone or do, doing things on device that are not being transmitted. But, it, but, it's, but it's like, oh, well, if it's stock Android, it's just totally spying on you. And it's, it's just, you know, totally screwing your life over. It's like, well... Yeah, maybe kind of, but not every not in every instance does it need to be you know uh, a total like surveillance uh, feature necessarily. It could just be a usability feature, <laughs> an enhancement uh, to increase the user experience, not necessarily to increase the surveillance. And I don't always know how to convey that message uh, in those instances where you're. Well, where I you're, think this is even this article that you're talking about is even uh, a even better example. Just for the fact that if my mom had something like this and shared it on Facebook, like Apple's begun scanning your files. Okay, that's one thing. But this article has a great title that they're now scanning your local images without consent. Right. And the author's bio right next to it says that they're a hacker and security researcher. And so if you read the first two paragraphs, it sounds very believable. It sounds like he knows exactly what he's talking about. But if you read through it for like two more minutes, you can see just how much effort was not put into this research to validate these points and they're very strong accusations but now you know security researchers said it it's been shared all over the place now it must be true well and and not only that but you have some really big personalities on youtube that have ran with it mental yeah. outlaw he's got a big audience lewis rossman has i think one in three quarter million subscribers and he did a whole video just on this article by Jeffrey Paul. And, you know, Apple Insider investigated this and they were like, no, this is not CSAM image scanning. And they went into in-depth review. There's another researcher from uh, Eclectic Light. And I'll, like I said, I'll have these articles, there are links to these articles posted in the show notes. He just posted this on January 18th saying Apple 
you know, is Apple checking images, you know, in, in your finder. And it's like kind of does an actual breakdown and talks about all the feature sets with a, with an entire map, a visual map of like how it actually works because it's, it's easy to get clicks with stuff. It's easy to jump to conclusions. I think of like a office space movie, like a jump to conclusions map, you know, it's like our game, right? It's like, you know, you just, it, it, it's easy to jump to that when you're already kind of pre-programmed. And I kind of say that like, if you can get sucked into this is like a, almost like a cult, right? Privacy, security, the big anti big tech surveillance, because most of it's true. Most of it's true. A lot of it's true, but it's easy to jump to conclusions when these when you see something like that and be like, "Oh, now they're doing this. Oh, now they're doing that." Right? I mean, um, at the same to- time, these big tech companies are actually implementing things that are good for the consumer. Uh, advanced data protection that Apple's rolled out for and, and encryption on all your you know all your iCloud you know content, your photos, your notes, your contact or not your contacts, but your documents, your files, those kinds of things. Um, same with Google. Google's doing the same thing. They've also both, both rolled out. Uh, Apple has lockdown mode. Google's rolled out a, a more limited way for stock Android phones to have limited uh, network and uh, access where it's turning off like Wi-Fi scanning. It's turning off Bluetooth. It's you know only when needed and things like that. That People who are uh, in a higher uh, target threat realm. Uh, and, and so it's kind of like, even though they are big tech companies and historically they're in the business of making money uh, off the backs of your user data, uh, they are actually moving towards a direction that's healthier, right? There's still tons of telemetry. There's still tons of ad money to be made on both sides of the fence between Apple and Google. They want to make that ad money. Well, they're going to make it. They're going to make it off your data. But they're also trying to limit their liability scope for data breaches down the road and hacks because if they can if they can minimize their exposure by increasing user security they see that is a, a larger threat i think down the road a larger threat that because of hacks and breaches and all these other things that they'd rather have their users uh, be more secure by using an encryption or other other feature sets that they've rolled out than they are just being harvesting all of your data. Uh, I think that they're still going to get plenty of it, right? And a lot of it, people are giving away for free through social media platforms. So it's not like it's like really that hard to get. Um, and there's a balance in there. Now, granted, you know we're all kind of more on the extreme side of things, some more than others. The hated one is definitely much more extreme than I am because I also love, I just love to mess with stuff. I like to play with all sorts of stuff. Uh, but, but when it really comes down to the extreme side of things, I think we all have like pretty similar uh, products or, or solutions that we kind of like side with. What Graphene OS for one for the mobile device, maybe our own specific picks for a, a password manager, whether it's like KeyPass, uh, maybe Bitwarden or something that you can manage locally. It's open source, you know, that kind of stuff. Like we kind of all have our own like similarities where we're like on the extreme side, but for the general masses, they easily get duped by some of these things, you know, like, like you're saying uh, your mom could post that on Facebook and be like, Oh, Apple's scanning your, your, all your stuff on your Mac. Well, it's like, not okay not entirely true like let's kind of like have some you know uh some do some research around this and i fell into this trap by the way i fell into when i first saw this 
I just thought it was like, that's interesting. And I posted it on Mastodon. And it's still there. I'm not taking it down. Um, but I but I was also kind of like, I read as I read through the article, I was like, well, this is interesting. Uh, and, and then as I kind of it permeated and do some more investigation, I'm like, oh, this doesn't actually seem like it is what this person is saying it is. But they're definitely getting a lot of traffic to this page because <laughs> it's being cited all over the place. And I think that goes back to, you know, the, the big YouTubers that shared it. Maybe I'm jaded, but I feel like the bigger the audience you have, the more responsibility you have to not share something that you didn't even like read into at all first. Because it just makes it worse for the rest of us at this point. Like, you know, I'm not trying to shield a big companies, Apple and Google, but I'll give them credit where credit's due and I'm not going to make up stuff to right. just put them down more than I already can with facts. Right. It's easy enough to put them down. Right. They put themselves down kind of, right? Yeah. Google with don't be evil, Apple touting privacy on their devices. Come on, man. We all know that's a load of crap. But let's also kind of like be honest and, and upfront about what's in these particular, you know, top you know, subjects that we're talking about here. Let's let's give let's paint the whole picture of what's actually happening. Um yeah, so, it's not an opinion-based topic. It's not scanning. It's it's a factual thing. It's a factual thing. So it's either happening or it's not happening. Yep. Um, I mean, definitely Apple has its flaws uh, for all sorts of other crap, especially like VPN leaking and <laughs> stuff like that. But um, in this particular scenario, I was like, oh, this is actually not 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 the case. Uh, but I don't see anybody. I haven't seen a correction on this article by Jeffrey Paul. I haven't seen a correction on any video content by these large influencers. And sometimes, again, things people get things wrong. It happens. No one's perfect. But let's also not be like fear mongers in the space. Unless it's warranted. I, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was just saying, unless it's warranted, you know. But I want to go ahead, hated one. Uh, I think Josh wanted to say something as well. Mm. Oh, no, I was just saying I agreed. Okay, all right. Um, I, I don't really have that much to say about this uh, particular story because I haven't followed it. Um, I don't watch Mental Outlaw because I think it should be illegal. I think he should be in jail by now. But uh, when it whoa, comes whoa, whoa, to... Whoa, 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 whoa. Sh- well, uh, we're not going to gloss over that. Wait, yeah, you think he should be in jail? <laughs> For sure. I mean, how, how can you allow someone who is uh, illegal on this platform? Good point. Carry on. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so um, I kind of forgot what I was going to say, but I now, now I think I remember. So this article is false and people were spreading it, right? But um, in November, there was actually good, solid research done into uh, the iOS and it discovered that Apple is actually disregarding user consent and they are collecting uh, detailed telemetry and device analytics analytics information from a range of their applications, that is uh, the iOS uh, App Store, the iTunes, everywhere you can search in music, also outside of the iPhone as well. And um, it was found that uh, they would be collecting this information even if users um, toggle off all of those uh, um, settings where you can um, disable that collection. 
and um, they would be associating that collection with a DSID, which is a unique identifier specific to this collection. It is not open to third-party developers. You know, they can use the advertiser ID, but you know, Apple implemented the app tracking transparency to have the users uh, remove that for, uh, access from third parties, but that doesn't apply to Apple's own um, applications. And this research got no traction. I mean, Apple is being sued because of this. It's a class action lawsuit. And I'm going to make a prediction that they are probably going to get sued in the uh, European Union as well because of how they um, uh, misidentify uh, personal data in their privacy policy. And um, this is a serious issue that, um, you know, is solid. It has been shown. It has been uh, verified as well. And it um, uh, gives people deep insight into how Apple is actually doing things um, behind the scenes, quote unquote. And uh, I, I find it very unfortunate that something like that is gaining no traction, no coverage whatsoever. But a false article, false research, poor data is getting so much attention. Yes, I agree. Um, there has been no secret about their ad revenue goals, which are, you know, poised to be growing exponentially over the next couple of years. Uh, and I, I, I believe, um, in 2021, it was 4 billion and they have, they want to quadruple that in the next two years or some, somewhere around there. I, I'm not, I could be off on the numbers. I just know it's a lot. Um, and they're going to do that by tracking you. <laughs> you have to, you have to track, you have to track interest and in to to have the most from a performance management perspective. In order to achieve the greatest outcome, you need the most insight. So the more insight you have, the more optimized your campaigns can be to present. Uh, the right ad at the right time that's maximized for that user to click on, whether it's installing an app or in, in a lot of cases too, uh, local advertising. Like you'll see in Waze, Waze is a GPS application where you can uh, report you know, accidents or crash. It'll redirect you. It runs, runs over, uh, over Google Maps. But one of the big ways that you know, it's really just a revenue model for them because when you stop at a stoplight, you know, you get a pop-up that says, Hey, you want to buy a, you know, a McRib or whatever. It's a $2 off. If you, you know, whatever come through, cause they know where you're at. Right. Well, Apple's doing the same stuff. And, and in order to present the right thing at the right time, they have to have those insights. And what kills me about Apple, what irritates me to no end. And I'm an Apple consumer on my professional side. I have uh, Macs and an iPhone, right? Is that these are not cheap, inexpensive hardware devices. They're actually premiumly priced hardware. And it's irritating that you spend, if you buy an iPhone, I think on the cheap end, maybe a thousand. As high as you know, fifteen, sixteen hundred dollars for a fully specced Pro Max phone, and then you're going to pay a subscription fee for iCloud for your storage, 
So you're, you know, and then you're going to buy apps and you're probably going to subscribe to stuff through the apps and then they're going to spy on you and then sell you ads. If that doesn't like, if like make your blood boil, uh, I, I, you know, what, what would, because to me, it's like, you're just being extracted money in every possible way and nothing about you and what you're doing, your metadata, it's all open for the forbidding and whether they're selling it directly to third parties or selling access to it from third parties, it doesn't matter. It's we're everyone's being monetized and it's at the, at the end of all of this stuff for me, I'm just trying to avoid as much monetization off of me and my patterns as possible. It's hard to do in living in, in society and participating in society. But it's, you know, everyone has like their thresholds based upon their threat model. Uh, and, and you can do some things to limit that exposure on an iPhone, but there's only so much you can do. And I know there's a lot of listeners who are stuck with, you know, iPhones or stock Android. Um, but it's just the nature of the beast. Uh, it, everything's a profit model. And I, I don't know, I don't know how to like make that hit home with people. Um, I think it does, but I, I like when I'm talking about people, I'm kind of more talking to normies, you know. So when you have like those family gatherings or friends and family, and you're like, ah, you know, you're you, you look at them as like you're just being you're you're basically being extracted. You're you're having dollars extracted from you, and you can't really see it. Um, and it's, it's disheartening sometimes. Um, and I think that's kind of why I get a little more frustrated. I wouldn't say triggered, just frustrated when I see people pitching stuff like influencers, I kind of see them as the same thing. They're just looking at their audience as a way to extract financial gain from them. And as opposed to just genuinely trying to help them and if you're really good at what you do you should be able to monetize that directly uh whether it's patreon or membership or donations or buying some swag i don't know there's 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 got to be other ways to do it without selling out everyone's soul but that's just me (laughs) That uh, was well said. I didn't mean to to uh, digress. Uh, with, Actually, with no, my, I don't think we digressed. My, yeah. I don't think we digressed at all. I think it was. I think it was a great summary uh, from from kind of like our positions on, on how we feel about monetizing the privacy community. Because I mean, yeah, I, I think it is, it is it is a good summary. Yeah, it's like that's that's what we're trying to get away from. <laughs> It's like literally what we're trying to evade from is is being monetized from big tech. So don't necessarily rush over and, and be monetized by a privacy personality. That is so well said. <laughs> so if you want to buy a... I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. Well, let's just... Uh, <laughs> I'm pouring my third glass of, of whiskey. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, not say anything that I'll regret. But... um. This is Woodford Reserve. It's actually pretty tasty. It's going down quite smooth. 
So I'm trying to, I'm trying to be a good boy <laughs> and not, not rock the boat too much. Now I, I kind of wonder what you wanted to say. Don't, I mean, I, I don't know. You don't have to. <laughs> I mean. I, I'm just saying if anyone's trying to sell you, you something, if someone, if someone's, if someone says, Hey, don't buy an iPhone. Hey, don't go and buy a stock Android phone. Buy my phone or buy my device. I th- what's the freaking difference? Literally, what's the difference? It's like, don't be monetized by Apple or Google. Be monetized by me. Buy my private hardware VPN. Buy my private custom-rolled OS-built phone. Uh, only listen to me. Uh, matter of fa- you know, matter of fact, don't even listen to other privacy personalities because they get stuff wrong. They're 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 giving you misinformation. That's what I have a problem yeah. with. That's what I have a problem with. I think people should get as much information from as many sources as they can. Put on their critical thinking hat, and you know, figure out what's what's best for them. There's not a one-size-fits-all solution, which is also why I understand that Graphene OS is not necessarily a one-size-fits-all for a lot of people out there. I get that. I really do. So, you know, and not everyone can compartmentalize and carry two phones or have three phones or have one running invisive PGPP and one running this SIM card and one running that SIM. I, I get it, right? Everyone has their, their own limitations. Um, but the answer isn't always, Hey, just run from this solution right over to this other solution. That's also kind of a black box is all I'm saying, you know, uh, try to, try to, try to use things that are, that have transparency to it. So, and, and actually, you know, support those projects because that's another thing that I really want to promote is, you know, support the, support the personalities that are, uh, putting together the content that you find helpful, the guides and all those types of things, but then also support the projects. Because if you can afford, if you left and you could afford a $1,500 phone and a $20 a month iCloud subscription, then you can afford to divvy up 40 bucks a month between your favorite open source projects and subscribe to some, you know, YouTube or Patreon creations or, or custom, you know, membership like, like Josh side burritos is building for himself. Like you can afford to support the, uh, the the people and the projects that are actually helping you be more private and secure. Pay for your stuff. Otherwise you are the product is, is kind of my point. Um, but don't just, don't just think that you can go, you know, anyway, I'll, I'll just cut it off there. <laughs> I'll just cut it off there. <laughs> um, so I, th- I think we kind of covered because there was a lot of subtopics within this overarching like privacy influencer topic. We you know we're talking about accepting sponsorship. We're talking about selling products directly, affiliates and pat you know era paid yeah ad placements things of that nature, um, as well as like you know business models you know that finance the projects. Um, I, I don't have a problem with people selling stuff. That's not really my issue. I have an issue when it's like. If you're touting something to be the most, like you're providing the most private and secure uh, solutions, and I don't even hear a mention of Graphene OS, I'm immediately suspect. I'm sure listeners can draw a connection. Uh, I mean, we mentioned pretty much everyone else. It, I, I don't think it matters anymore, but I, I, I'm not pushing. I'm, I'm just, just saying. Yeah, I'm just saying... <laughs> You know, 
you have someone like Rob Braxman. There's the keyword everyone's we, we probably looking for. We did not have to do this. But. No, 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 no. I'm just saying. And and has he has he been a, a big voice for promoting and kind of like raising alarm bells and sirens about big tech surveillance? Absolutely. Has he put in hundreds of hours, maybe thousands of hours of work into content to uh, raise awareness about big tech surveillance, government surveillance? Absolutely. I just don't understand why if you're creating all this content about privacy and security and your main focus is the phone, and I consume a lot of his content, you know, is about the phone, why would you not recommend Graphene OS as an option, as a viable solution that everyone on the planet who has internet access without, you know, who can get to grapheneos.org, why would you not, and, and a Pixel phone, right? Why would you not at least mention that? Why would you only talk about your own custom world lineage OS phone? That's, that's kind of what I'm talking about. And I'm only singling them out in this instance is because the mobile phone is your most important computer in your life, period. Like, there, it, it is the one computer in your life that everyone has that is the most important. It should be the most protected. Everyone has that moment when they're like, hey, yeah, check out my pictures from our vacation last week. Don't swipe right or don't swipe left. Just swipe right. You know, like it's 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 a joke because it's true. It's it's got all your personal information, has all of your photos and your documents, your contacts and your notes and where you've been, your apps. I mean, it's it's literally your everything device. So if that's the most personal computer in your life, why would you not? And your goal is to teach people how to evade corporate and, and, and government surveillance, why would you not be pimping out the best solution? That, that, that's, that's kind of a breakdown for me. That's a, that's a red flag moment. Like, wait a second. Uh, oh, you will have your own social network. You sell your own phones. You roll your own OS. Like, I'm not saying it's bad, but we already have established within this conversation between the three of us that we all agree that probably more likely Graphene OS is the best OS, is the best choice to recommend to anyone who's searching for a solution, even over Calyx OS, which Calyx OS is much better than a stock Android phone, much better than an iPhone, but it's not the best. It's pretty damn good, but it's not all the way there. It's not innovative in the in a way that really protects your personal data and increases your security changing your mac address on wi-fi networks and doing all this other cool stuff i mean that's it's forward thinking so why would you be why would you be rolling your own lineage os you know with uh you know micro g because that's what he, that's what it is it's basically a calyx os version 2 is the way I would look at it. It's probably yeah. not even as good as Calyx yeah. OS. Is that I don't know how big the team is. Um, so and maybe maybe someone forwards this to him and he gets pissed and comes after me. That that's not really my intent. Is to say like he's a bad guy. That and that's not it at all. It's more just like if we're out here to try to tell people the best possible solution based on our research, our experiments, and our you know kind of cumulative knowledge. Then why wouldn't 
why wouldn't you just tell people what the best is? Why would you try to create something else and then funnel them that way and using fear mongering kind of tactics? That's, that's the part that frustrates me. So. Yeah. I, I don't think I have that much to say about um, this particular instance here. Is there anything that you wanted to add, Josh? Nope. All good. So what I'd like to move into is, I mean, we're kind of, I don't want to eat up a whole lot more time. I don't want this to be like a, what are we at? An hour and 45 minutes. So I kind of wanted to kind of pivot to, I feel like we've covered like privacy in general, influencers, red flags, uh, mobile devices, and kind of wanted to go into what are, I wanted to talk about tour because we, we were talking about that offline and do you see Tor as being a potentially compromised privacy solution when trying to do research or communication with people uh, through Tor, you know, using, using Tor in general, as far as uh, intercepting and being able to kind of figure out maybe who, who someone is based upon uh, entry and exit nodes and, and should we be looking to other solutions? No, no tool is going to be all you need for anonymity or privacy. So uh, of course there are going to be ways to bypass tour as well, but it is a very strong anonymity, uh, privacy, uh, anonymity enhancing technique on the internet and uh, as to whether it's compromised or not, I mean, that depends on the definition of compromising. For a lot of people, I mean, their definition is uh, very similar to the logic of people who believe in healing crystals. And I'm not sure if I'm going to change their mind. <laughs> but um, I think... Did you say, uh, healing? Did I you think, say healing crystals? Like, yeah, oh, like okay. crystals, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because um, the, I, I know there. Are, I, I've heard it so many times. There are so many people who just say, "Well, this product is compromised, and it's annoying, and uh, there's nothing that that can be said to them that uh, convince, convinces them of um, of another perspective." And uh, Tor has been an amazing tool, and um, the way it has been designed is is kind of necessary that it has to provide strong anonymity. Otherwise, it it doesn't its existence is not justified, and because it exists. Um, and it's still being used by uh, by people and governments and organizations and entities all around the world. Just um, you know, kind of like proves that it has value. And um, the the compromises that that people say, well, there are going to be exit nodes that are compromised. Well, compromising an exit node is never going to be enough to compromise the whole network. You are going to see something, but um, tour. Um, is relying on the on, on the fact that um, you know uh, exit nodes or service providers should be using HTTPS or TLS to encrypt their traffic. So if they are gonna uh, compromise, if someone is gonna compromise an exit node, they're never gonna see who who is sending that traffic, but they're gonna maybe see what that traffic is. If it's encrypted with HTTPS, they're not gonna see that. So it's not a huge problem for an individual to be truly compromised. Um, they would most likely have to become a target and they uh, would have to be subject to correlation attacks. Correlation attacks are um, basically uh, linking uh, 
timing and volume of the traffic from the entry point to the exit point. So if you are a global observer and you can see both the user connecting to the Tor network and then that traffic leaving the Tor network at the uh, at the clear net, for example, at some clear net website, then you can tie that website visit to that original user. There are only very few adversaries that could do this, and it is expensive to run this operation. These adversaries are truly global. They are usually just uh, heavily state-sponsored um, government agencies, such as the National Security Agency or GCHQ in the UK, or maybe some Chinese authorities there as well. And uh, other than that, you know, it's it's not you're not going to have that many many um, entities that are going to be able to do this. Maybe some global internet service providers or telecommunication providers could do this. That um, you know uh, have access to um, traffics of other networks through peering and uh, transit connections and at internet exchange points. But Tor has been designed to randomize the traffic in a way that uh, prevents that attack to a large extent. So um, really. Um, if you are a target of NSA, then using Tor alone is not going to be enough, but it is going to be pretty necessary. There is a mitigation technique um, which requires that you move a lot and you change your hotspots a lot. That means you cannot rely on cell, cellular connection. You have to use Wi-Fi only, public Wi-Fi, steal someone else's Wi-Fi. This is how Snowden did it, for example, and how he was able to evade that. But he, if he was just relying on his um, a Tor browser on his uh, personal laptop from his phone, he would, be, he would have been caught. But because he was moving a lot and he was changing places and using Wi-Fi's of, of, uh, at parking lots, etc., that's how he was able to evade that. You know, um, most people are not going to be targeted of this level of uh, 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 surveillance and they're not going to be targeted of these advanced attacks. Uh, so usage of Tor is still recommended for general users, I would say. I use Tor on a daily basis to basically obfuscate my searches. You know, when I do research, I don't want that uh, all of that traffic to tie back to my identity or location. And for those uh, threat models, Tor is perfectly suitable. And uh, it, it it was never in the in the security design or the threat model of Tor to protect you uh, from a global adversary. That's just impossible. There is no anonymity solution that can protect you at the moment. It's just technologically impossible. Yeah, that's a little scary-ish, kind of, I guess. Um, I mean, you can, you can still evade mass uh, you know, targeted surveillance that way, but uh, uh, you, you have to rely on more techniques than just Tor. Sure, sure. Uh, but, for, but Tor is very good at rendering... Uh, mass surveillance, sort of non-targeted surveillance, uh, economically unfeasible because it makes it a lot harder for uh, bulk collection programs to make sense of the data. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, there's some other like projects that I've kind of kept an eye on. I haven't actually used them because I'm a little reluctant just because of the model. Like, for instance, um, Session... Uh, session app right because you know they use it's an an end-to-end encrypted communication platform so you can download an app to your phone you can download it to your computer uh private secure anonymous communication but it's built on or it's 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 a project of oxen which is a cryptocurrency but they which automatically always have like a like a flag right but 
One of their projects is LokiNet, which is something I've been kind of curious to check out. It's a decentralized network, but basically uh, the nodes themselves, like your um, your relays, like your relay nodes, your, your exit nodes for Tor, they're ran by nodes that are staked with Oxen. And I'm not totally comfortable with the whole cryptocurrency into the decentralized network concept, but similar similar concepts with you know onion routed traffic and keeping everything private secure and anonymous so on and so forth all the all the keywords are there um i2p is something else that i've kind of you know been observing and haven't don't have a lot of experience using but it's like understanding what options are out there for communicating with exchange of ideas especially especially uh in in countries where it's it's very much like monitored especially if you're talking against your government or a journalist is trying to communicate with individuals for a particular story uh there was actually a great pbs documentary that released over the last couple of weeks on their youtube channel about pegasus uh by nso group in israel and you know, I always take documentaries with a grain of salt, but what I found, what I found interesting was like all these, you know, different media outlets worked together to come through that. I think it was 50,000 contact list that was uh, leaked uh, of, of identified targets. I guess they were targets that were uh, targets of NSO software from, from different countries. And they were trying to get in contact with those individuals, get hands on their phone. Uh, the EFF was involved. I'm pretty sure what's the, um, uh, the outfit in Canada, um, their name just escaped. Um, there's a Canadian based nonprofit that does anti-surveillance, uh, stuff for journalists and, uh, shoot the name escaped my mind. But anyway, so citizen lab citizen lab thank you thank you uh so so they had engineers from citizen lab uh like checking these people's phone they you know could detect the pegasus software they could even identify when it was infected how it was infected whether it was through excuse me a manually accessed link or something that was clicked on or some other uh vector like a, a zero day you know exploit to access their device so Obviously, most of most of us and people listening are not going to be targets by nation states, and probably not going to be targets of like you know Pegasus software. However, there may be a lot of use cases where you're looking to have communication with people that is harder to surveil, uh, especially if maybe you're working for a large company, you're a whistleblower, maybe you're seeing something that you want to you know convey to a journalist or even just communicate at all with a, with anyone regarding what you've seen or observed. There's a lot of reasons why you're going to want to use these types of, of methods for communication and research. Uh, so picking, picking one, I, I feel like is always kind of like a, a challenge in what's, there's so much information on both sides where it's like tours, good tours, compromised, uh, I2P, possibly something like like this Loki net. You know, it's like there's not, it, it seems like Tor is still the best, not necessarily best, maybe the easiest, the path of least resistance way to get to anonymizing your uh, research or your traffic. So 
would you recommend to use a public Wi-Fi, go to a Starbucks, go to a library with your laptop and, you know, like what would be like if you're, when you're doing your research for your videos, are you putting into practice some of these methods or like what, what's kind of like your, your personal preference on how you're doing your research? Uh, because you probably don't want all that tracked through your ISP, I'm assuming, because you do pretty in-depth research on a lot of different nations and, and surveillance and, you know, stuff that yeah. you probably don't I mean, want linked back to you. Yeah, definitely. I, I try to do as much as I can within uh, Tor, and there are a couple of ways you can go about it. Uh, the easiest, um, most convenient ways to just use the Tor browser. Um, that way, you're still routing your device traffic through non-Tor networks, so just regular ClearNet or a VPN if you want to but uh, only the Tor browser uh, traffic is going to be protected. That is um, solid enough if you're doing just basic, um, you know, um, DuckDuckGo search, that's fine. If you're just reading up articles, that's fine as well. Um, But if you are worried about maybe some leaks or potentially some other traffic from your device, uh, potentially leaking your presence to the network observer, which can be just the provider, then um, you need to route your whole device traffic through Tor, and then um, you you should at least use uh, something like Hunix because Hunix is actually trying to sandbox yeah. that whole Tor session within within a virtual machine, right. which makes it a lot uh, more reliable in case of uh, uh, IP leaks. And then, like the the most hardcore solution is to use Tails, and the best way to use Tails you can use it from your home network if you want to. But um, if you go to a location where you do not usually frequent and uh, all you need to do is just to obfuscate half of your face so you can just wear sunglasses and a cap or a hat, uh, a scarf, anything, a mask today is still a pretty normal thing to wear. So if you just obfuscate half of your face, you are not going to be recognizable by facial recognition. And that's all you pretty much need to worry about. You can run tails through like Tor Bridge which uh, obfuscate the fact that you're connecting to the Tor network from the provider, and you you are set. And I obfuscate. Uh, I mean, I um, oscillate between all of these. Uh, using <laughs> Tails is the is is very rare for me, uh, but I do use Hunix a lot. I do use the Tor browser depending on uh, what kind of research I'm doing, and um, I rely on these tools frequently because um, it's it's good not to reveal to uh, not, not to have the not, not to have the worry that you might reveal yourself that you are doing an investigation to your target, and uh, you could do that if you're just uh, looking at their information from your personal devices and accounts. And I, I usually run all of these things through burner setups, so all the sessions are you know uh, deleted once I'm done with a particular um, project. I hope that yeah yeah, fun. and Hunix is is uh that's what i use i've used tails before it's a little more cumbersome to use it's gotten a little bit better with um the persistent storage but hunix is great because anyone can download uh virtualbox and it's free and then the hunix image you can just load it you load the gateway first run your updates then load your workstation run your updates and you're pretty good um i i think it's a, a great tool and it's something I use when I'm doing research. I just kind of have it up. It just runs as like an application and yeah, I love it. Um, Josh, what about you? Do you, 
are you obfuscating much when you're doing your research or are you as paranoid as we are? <laughs> no, for my research, I'm not that paranoid. But I think going back to Tor, um, for the hated one, the situations you described, I think, are perfect uses of Tor. But then I hear other people who are like, oh, I just tunnel my entire device through Tor all the time. You know, to go to Amazon.com and buy stuff. I log into my bank on my phone. I feel like Tor at that point is more of a... I might be misunderstanding this, but I think that Tor is more of a uh, disadvantage at that point if you start tunneling all your authenticated traffic through it into a potentially hostile network where a VPN might be better suited for that use case. And I think those use cases get mixed up often. Uh, they do, because uh, Tor is uh, not designed to be foolproof. And if you are identifying yourself to the network then you're defeating the whole purpose of anonymization of the, of the traffic in the first place. So it is really up to the user uh, to compromise themselves in this uh, scenario. And uh, what, what people need to realize that if you, if you, go, if you, if you go put on a mask in, in, into a crowd and then you tell everybody who you are, you, you don't have a reason to wear that mask. So that's what you're doing when you use Tor and you log into your Facebook account. You're not protecting yourself, right? And uh, there are other methods that are more advanced that uh, these um, um, observers or addresses could use to track you. Like, for example, if you use the Tor browser in the standard uh, security setting, you are going to be rendering all of the JavaScript in there. That JavaScript is going to be a very serious anonymity threat because it could lead to identification. You know, JavaScript that's running on uh, your browser can render malicious code, but also if it's benign, it can have access to a lot of information from your device that can help fingerprint you. I mean, Tor browser is pretty uh, uh, resistant to fingerprinting, but uh, there are there are still a lot of information that, that JavaScript can can uh, pull uh, from the session that you are on, and that can, for example, tell them like how you move your mouse around the screen, or how much you scroll, or you know what taps you make, etc. And these are th these can be pretty uh, unique in profiling. So, um, you know the, the the way you use Tor is is going to be uh, the defining factor of uh, of your anonymity and the strength of your anonymity. So I, I think that was a pretty good question. I, I think I think whoever told you that they're running Tor uh, system wide on their phone and they are using banking apps, they were full of shit because you're not <laughs> logging into your bank through yeah. Tor. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> That's gonna create some but I, I, bottlenecks. I, I actually, I actually, I actually have um, multiple profiles on my GrapheneOS that are running through Tor, and these profiles are extremely strict. I, there is like. Like this is necessary that I'm running Orbot on them, and it's just Tor traffic, because um, uh, th these profiles are specifically tied to to very uh, uh, narrow use cases. I don't open them that much, but when I do, I don't want to have any of the information tied to a persistent identifier. So that's the problem with VPNs versus Tor. Yes, VPN is faster, etc., but it is not anonymous because it gives you a persistent ID. You know, your VPN provider knows your IP address all the time, and they know what websites to go to. They can correlate that information easily. Anyone can go to the VPN provider and request that information from them, 
they don't even have to go to the VPN provider. They can go to the provider of servers of that VPN provider and ask that information. So VPN is not really any sort of privacy or anonymity solution. It's just a delegation of uh, trust to a different entity or multiple entities for that matter. With Tor, you don't have that trust problem because you are not trusting your entry node to handle your exit traffic. These are two completely different entities. Tor is designed to make sure that's the case. Um, so for those uh, specific scenarios, these are not running my social media accounts. These are not running my banking uh, applications. Uh, they are running uh, applications that don't need any accounts at all. And that's, that's where I need uh, the full device traffic going through Tor because uh, I don't want to have the potential exposure of my device traffic um, to the network observer. So, for example, if I were to go to uh, that public Wi-Fi that someone mentioned uh, and I don't change any settings, then my phone is going to be making network checks. And by, by default on Graphene OS, they are going to Graphene OS uh, servers. I can change that to go to Google. But in either case, I'm advertising that uh, I'm a Graphene OS user or I'm a, an Android user. So if I want to obfuscate the data point from an observer, I can use Tor with bridges, and they are not going to see the traffic. Does it make sense? Yeah, no, very well put. And I think that uh, I think it goes back to at least a topic that I haven't covered that I need to cover more in the future. But whatever your threat model is and taking those actions based off of that, versus just taking action off something you heard without knowing the clear threat you're trying to mitigate. So in your case, you want to remain anonymous. You know, Tor on public Wi-Fi is the best case for you. For me, I use a VPN at my house because I don't want to be surveilled by my ISP and I trust the VPN provider more. So that's what works in that scenario. Just kind of making yeah, that's, informed that's, decisions about what you're doing. Yeah, it is, it is probably more reasonable to just trust a VPN if you're just uh, connecting from your... Um, home network. Um, if you are moving a lot, then it's probably better to use uh, Tor with bridges, uh, especially, but that's going to uh, fuck up your, I mean, slow down your traffic even more. But uh, with, with VPNs, um, do you ever worry about, um, about that trust issue that, you know, they are protecting your IP address from, you know, services and they're hiding your traffic from your local ISP. But, um, you know, you, you, re you, you realize that you're trusting all of these different entities. So how do, you, how do you manage that trust? The traffic I send through my VPN providers, not that I would want anyone to know what that traffic is, but if that got out, that's fine. And for the traffic that I don't want anyone to find out, I used for. That's how I kind of break it up for myself. And uh, what is your methodology to decide uh, what kind of traffic you want to go through Tor and which one is fine with VPN? You don't need to you know, like reveal that. It could be personal. So I'm just wondering. Kind of something where, you know, it could trash my reputation. I'd be really embarrassed if my mom found out. Kind of like this line of stuff that might be, uh, there's, there's a line. I don't yeah, know. It's not it. a great way to explain it without a, <laughs> to say it on a podcast. I know. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, I, I think, um, you know, Snowden to me is a great philosopher because uh, he's really laying out the motives behind uh, his actions. 
And he's saying, like, you, you really need that private, private space to have the ability to explore yourself and explore different ideas before you have the, you, you make the decision to go public with those ideas and uh, to experiment with uh, different things. And, like, one good example, I think, is, is in politics. Like, uh, people should be free to experiment with different political ideas before they decide to take one um, as their badge of honor and, uh, you know, they're going to get slandered anyway. It doesn't really matter. But, you know, I think it's <laughs> in this culture, I think that's the case. But I, I, I think, uh, you know, I appreciate the fact that I can have that decision on, on my own and I don't have to be too worried about some potential breaches. And, and a breach will always happen. Um, that's just a um, question of time. But, you know, that, that could be a hostile takeover, you know, uh, hacks, um, some misconfigurations. Anything can happen. And then once the data is out there, it's going to be there forever. And uh, people have been, you know, canceled today for for things they might have said uh, like 20 years ago. So it's kind of it's like, um, I think you, you hinted it uh, pretty well. It's kind of like uh, reputation um, protection. Yeah, it's the topics where without context, someone might be like, oh, well, I can judge this person. But if they had context to why I was looking at it or, you know, researching it, then it kind of makes more sense that that conversation. So if that data is out there and someone could judge it without my context, then that's something I want to keep anonymous. Right. I, I feel like uh, like that's a great a, a use case where maybe a VPN is just fine if you want to, because ISPs sell information. Uh, every, anyone that's involved with data collection and, and has access to users and, and search patterns and this kind of thing are, are generally um, going to be involved in some sort of broker deal with selling information. But if like, you're with an upcoming election and you want to go check out uh, you know, several different candidates' websites and read what they're about and all that. You don't want your ISP, uh, based on your DNS queries, to see where you're going using an IV. Or, uh, yeah, I said IVPN. That's what I currently have running at the moment. But like using a VPN provider, it can just kind of help shield that from them. Hopefully, you're using a at least a trustworthy enough like VPN provider that's not selling the information. They would probably give your information with a warrant, but not selling it uh, is kind of like a good use case, right? Where you're, you're just doing your day-to-day research or you're browsing and things like that. Uh, If you're going to, I feel like, you know, I'm not trying to define anyone's threat model, but it, it seems like everyone has kind of different comfort levels with IV with with VPNs versus just you know using like something like Tor or Tor with Bridges or Hunix or Tails, and everyone has to figure out what that is for themselves. But anyone that's in between, anyone when I say anyone, I'm kind of more referring to companies, corporations that make money that need to generate revenue, um, are going to look at opportunities to monetize what they have whereas where tor doesn't isn't a company collecting information it's slower uh you need to be mindful of how you use it like the hated one said you're not logging into social media accounts you're not logging into email accounts or bank accounts it's it's a tool for a specific task uh 
versus an I, uh, VPN. I, I actually have run my own VPN, like using op- OpenVPN on a on a virtual server, and that actually was kind of a, a it's you know a good experience. So if you kind of want to even go another like layer into like ownership, I mean, I guess the VPS provider could be <laughs> uh, subpoenaed for the account owner of that of that IP, but at least it's you uh, versus a third party. So I, I think that's kind of also the challenge within this space is always making the re- the best recommendation because you can kind of do things depending upon how much effort you're willing to put into it. So like self-hosting, excuse me, versus using, you know, a paid, a paid service provider. Um, that's really just going to come down to like what, really what your threat model is, what you're trying to protect. You know, it's, it's not, it's it's not a one size solution. You know, there's not a, there's not a simple answer. I don't think. How how do you choose a VPN provider? Both of you. (laughs) Like what's the, what's the set of um, requirements that a VPN provider would need to meet in order for you to consider them trustworthy? Um, I'll go with an answer first. So for, for me, I look at longevity and reputation and what methods of payment. If they accept cash in the mail, I'm going to put them higher on the list. If they accept cryptocurrency, I'm going to put them higher on the list because I can use an email alias to set up the account I could set it up from a remote location. So I'm not actually setting up the account from my home IP address internet. I can go to a coffee shop or something like that, set it up, and I can pay for it uh, with cryptocurrency. If I'm if they accept Monero, I feel like that's yet another like point to bump them up the list. And really longevity is a big one for me. I've been using IVPN. Uh, gosh, since about, I want to say, I want to say 2010, 2012, somewhere, somewhere around there. Um, and you know, has there been any, uh, subpoenas? What did, you know, it, not all of that's public record. You kind of just have, it's kind of, kind of a lot of, some of it's gut feeling, uh, I would say Mulvad is high on the list. IVPN is high on the list. I have a Proton VPN account, but I try to not put all my eggs in one basket. So since I also use Proton for email, I try to keep things spread around a little bit. But honestly, I'm looking for like what, how can I sign up and what payment methods are available? Is there a payment method that is uh, cash or Monero? is kind of, or, or cryptocurrency, you know, that I can, that I can use. I'm generally going to bump those a little bit higher. What about you, Josh? Like what's your criteria that you. So for me, there's only one that I, I don't want to say trust. I use trust lightly in this uh, explanation, but there's only one that I trust. And this is not a recommendation for anyone that might be listening, do your own research. But as far as VPN providers, I went with Maldad for a couple of reasons. One, the information to sign up, they generate a 16-digit number, and that's your account. You don't give them any information. You don't give them a name, no email, no password, just a number. 
they also accept Monero and they also accept cash, which I like doing. So I put my little number in an envelope or there's a little token tied to the number. You generate a token, put the token in an envelope, put a stamp on it, put it in a random mailbox somewhere far from where I live. That gets over to Sweden. They apply it to my random number they gave me and then my account is active. So I kind of go based off of how much information I have to provide up front, um, how my account can be tied back to me and then payment methods. And then just their overall reputation. Like they don't pay anyone for sponsorships. They don't do any sponsorships. They never have. And they said they never will. So I, I give them a lot of credit for that versus something like NordVPN, which is, you know, shilled at Walmart or something. <laughs> so this, this is the only one that you would actually use? It's the only one that I would. It's, it's my highest okay. one on my trust list. I use Proton once in a while because I have an account. So if I need a VPN quick on a device, I might use it there. But as far as obtaining one, what I would say anonymously, it would be Mulved. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very, um, what was the right word? I don't even know. I, I think Mulvad is doing the things uh, uh, probably the best out of all the providers. Uh, they really set a benchmark high. And uh, as you said, that sign-up process is excellent. I, I, I don't think it should be re- required that you sub- submit any information about yourself to the uh, VPN provider. Like Proton VPN is recommended a lot, but... I don't like the idea that you have to give them some sort of an email address and a password. I think that these data points are unnecessary, and uh, um, that for I, I think Proton VPN is is pretty reputable. It, it can be trusted, but I think their design is just archaic at this point. Um, have you have you have you guys tried? Um, I don't want to be a shill because I've been accused of this already. But uh, Safing.io, have you tried this? I'm, I'm not. I'm not affiliated with them in any way. I just have a friend there, and we've met. We had a lot of discussions, and I and I like that project objectively. <laughs> but what what do you think about the, some, something like Safing Privacy Network? Do, are you familiar with this, Josh? So I actually researched it after the last episode, and I don't believe they have a Mac client. And now I think I just lost half my fan base. But I pretty much use Mac all the time, so I really haven't looked mm. much into it. I would like to though. <laughs> Um, on the topic of VPNs, um, I just logged into my VPN account, which I've had since September 6th, 2011. And they also like Mulvad do not have a login. So there's no username and password. You just have an ID and they do accept Monero and cash. Um, so I, I would say to piggyback with Josh on, if you're looking at vetting an IV, or I keep saying IVPN because that's what I'm looking at right now, but if you're vetting an, a VPN uh, provider, I would really prioritize, is there a login required? And can you pay with cash? Can you pay with Monero? Can you pay with, at a minimum, uh, using Lightning Network on Bitcoin? Because that will at least help. You can. There's some things you can do we won't get into right now to protect your privacy with Bitcoin using Lightning Network. Um, if yes, then I would say that those are some criteria that I would kind of prioritize to move whatever, uh, you're looking at to the top. So you click a referral link on someone's YouTube page. Yeah. Do do a referral. Um, regarding safing, I have been using safing.io, um, cause I do have a Linux desktop. I do also use Mac. So I would look like really look forward to, 
a Mac client, but on Linux, it's been working really well. I would equate it to probably what I wish all VPNs would offer um, because they offer not only just the ability to see like what your computer, like what's, what requests are happening from your computer, but you can actually separate the network traffic per application, which is something that I don't, or at least I haven't seen uh, any VPN really provide most VPNs to have like tunneling, but that's not what I'm talking about. They have a, the ability to actually break out network requests uh, by the at the application level, which is like amazing. So um, I forget the the terminology they use. It's it's uh, not VPN, but it's like a different uh, set global per app. I'm looking at their website real quick because I was trying to find the term SPN. Sorry, that's what it is. I was looking for so SPN versus uh, VPN, where um, I, I think that's kind of like a safing private uh, privacy network, which is what SPN is. But what it what it can do is break out different connection uh, source IPs based on applications. So it's not even like all coming from the same IP. Uh, I haven't actually signed up for the paid subscription, but that is uh, what I plan to do to unlock all the features. But so far, so good. I used Safing.io a couple, a uh, year and a half ago, maybe. I think it was still in the alpha slash beta and actually had some issues with it uh, breaking some of my networking within Linux. But, you know, again, take that with a grain of salt because all environments are kind of different depending upon what network manager you're running and that kind of thing. Um, but so far, so good uh since i've been running it uh for the last i would say a couple months actually i think it was i i uh i think since november october november somewhere around there um yeah it's pretty slick but they do have a windows client uh as well as linux but no uh mac client yet i think it could also replace little snitch on mac which would be cool that would yeah so that that's another nice feature is it, it does have a really nice intelligent dashboard for kind of like showing you uh, what is requesting which application is requesting you know an, a connection and you can actually tell it like you know no <laughs> so um, I mean it has everything it has everything on there um, from especially like for people who are like gamers on Windows you can even tell it like down to the granular level of like your Xbox bar. Um, your browser, the OS itself, you can actually tell it and give it different uh, avenues to go. You can tell it to use the SPN. You can tell it to block the connection. It's quite robust. It's actually really, really cool. No, not a shill, not a paid shill, but um, it's FOSS. So, yeah, uh, that's pretty cool. I don't know. I, I honestly think that if they were to release a Mac application that little snitch would probably uh have a, a run for their money you know for how good it works but um yeah vpns i think like to echo what josh said do, do your own research but don't use a free vpn it, it whatever you do do not use a free vpn there's nothing free 
There's no free lunch. Uh, use your ISP before you use a free VPN would be my recommendation. <laughs> if you if you really need um, security, uh, use use Hunix. Uh, it's free. You can download it. You can install VirtualBox, download the OVA for it, and you're off to the races. So um, I would say use something like Hunix before you use like a free VPN or some of these like YouTube shill VPN sponsors. I I, I just if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. And even still, you're the product in most cases, even if you're paying for it. So, yeah. Kind of a crapshoot out there, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, 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 wanted to, you wanted to go over some uh, some issues with the Australian law and regarding session. Yeah. Uh, is it, do you still want to cover it? Yeah, we, can, we don't have to uh, dwell too long. It, so I've reached out to them on Mastodon. I, you know, just kind of more poking. I, I, I really have not formally reached out to them. And honestly, I think it would benefit if I could actually get one of them on the, on the podcast. So maybe that's what I'll, what I'll do next. Uh, I've reached, just reached like pinged them on Mastodon and Twitter. But given that they're, they're in Australia, right? And because Australia is uh, part of the Nine Eyes, or actually, I'm sorry, before I misspeak, um, I think they're um, they are part of the Five, five Eyes, eyes um, consortium, which is, you know, for I, I guess a simplified term, is sharing of information between nations on network traffic and surveillance intelligence right um it it, it's it's not so much even just that they're that they're in the five eyes it's it's that australia has some pretty strict laws over whistleblowing and that they have the authority to essentially force a company to install a backdoor uh and if anyone says anything from that company, they can go to jail. And being that they're on a fairly large island, it's a big island, but you know, it's not like you can just like take off uh, easily. I, I would, I don't know. I, I just have some reservations about like a country that's part of the Five Eyes that has really like not great laws around whistleblowing and also having the ability to force companies to do what they want um, makes me nervous. I guess to simplify it. So uh, I have promoted, I've, I've talked when I say promoted, I've recommended session is an, is an alternative communication platform for in, in encryption. The one thing I like about session is that there's no phone number required. There's no email address. You basically get what's called a session ID. And that is what you can give to people and you can connect. Uh, the communication is onion routed. Uh, so there's layers of separation from the origination source of where the message started, where it's going. Um, so intercepting it in between would be almost nearly impossible. I won't say impossible because I don't know everything. But uh, overall, it just seems like a really great tool to use uh, for in- in- encrypted communication without having it tied to some sort of like uh, primary key, like in a phone number, like Signal uses. So... I also I'm I've been just kind of reluctant going like well what was what would happen 
if they were compromised and there was a backdoor installed through an update. Uh, is that is that possible? Is that probable? Maybe not probable, but if it's possible and somewhere in between, is it as a is we're all private kind of privacy and security influencers? Is it something that you would currently recommend, given that there is potential for something like that to happen? Uh, I, I've made a video on this, so I have some opinions, but I'm I'm not sure. Um, how far I'm, I'm willing to go with uh, with this because there are two camps, I guess, in the privacy community, and one of them is uh, jurisdiction matters, and you should always choose the uh, most privacy-friendly jurisdiction, which I think is only Sweden and Germany and Switzerland probably, but every, every, uh, every not Sweden. Sweden is not very privacy-friendly, uh, but yeah. Switzerland and uh, Germany, they are, yes. And, um, but uh, then there are... Um, Camps that say that jurisdiction does not matter, and it's all about the um, architecture and infrastructure of the of the project itself. So I, I, I'm I'm not entirely sure. Um, jo- Josh, have you have you been exposed to to this? Have you done any research on this that led you, you know, to a conclusion one way or another? For session in Australia, sort of situation. Yeah, yeah, kind of like both of those things. No, not at all yet. Okay. So are, are you familiar with the law? I've headline read about it, you know, how they could add a backdoor if they want, but I haven't looked into it enough where I would be able to have any mm-hmm. opinion on it. Okay. Well, do, do you generally regard jurisdiction as, as a requirement or a criteria that w- when you are trying to uh, decide whether a product is something that you want to use or not? Uh Sometimes I don't have a great way to say yes or no. Mostly, mm-hmm. mostly not really though. Cause I'm more of the camp of the underlying infrastructure should be what's secure. You know, I don't want to trust the network I'm going over. I want to trust, you know, the app or the company and how they implemented it. So I, I think this is similar to the Apple versus the FBI case where the FBI tried to make the um, uh, court precedents that uh, would allow them to force companies to basically make these updates on on demand, which would mean that anytime there would be a target of any investigation, they could go to a company and tell them, well, uh, release um, a, a software patch that would allow us to bypass the encryption protocols that are in place without bypassing it for everyone else. Um, necessarily. Of, of course, once that update is released to the FBI or any other law enforcement agency, they could use it on any other target whatsoever. It wouldn't be confined to just that, that investigation. You'd have to basically tr- trust the system of uh, checks and balances, but that system is not perfect. So would you have a problem, for example, using, using Signal if, if this precedence in the United States was set and FBI won the case against the FBI, which, by the way, it did not lose, right? It just dropped the case. So it could be reopened again with some other company, um, perhaps even Signal, and they could try, again try to do this, and maybe they would be allowed to force Signal into releasing an update to uh, specific Signal phone numbers, let's say. Yeah, at that point, absolutely. 
That's why I haven't looked enough into the Australia, but if it was what the headlines make it out to be, I would have concerns about using a product that had that potential that could occur. You know, the way things currently are in the U.S., to the best of my knowledge, as long as there's end-to-end encryption or if I encrypt my data first and upload it somewhere, you know, that's one thing. But if I'm using a service where they're like, hey, once you upload it, we encrypt it for you. And now there's laws in place where they could circumvent that encryption. Then I would be, you know, be very hesitant to use a product based out of that location. Yeah, I'm not a, I'm not aware of any laws or precedents in the United States uh, like this, and uh, that's a good thing. Um, United States is not the worst privacy jurisdiction. It, there are, I think, the UK is worse. I think China is worse uh, as well, but. Um, it, 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 could, it could happen in the future. And then I'm wondering, like, what, if that happens, like, what are we going to do? Are we going to move to something else? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit worried there, but, you know, not, not necessarily existentially right now, but it's something that's on my mind. Right. And, and I think it kind of... Go- oh, go ahead, Josh. Sorry. So I think it kind of goes back to... I used to use Dropbox in the past. And, you know, they say your data is safe up there, but then the laws and the subpoenas that come out, I'd started getting uncomfortable with the access that the government could possibly have. So then I stopped using Dropbox. I started using Cryptomator. So it's encrypted before I put it up there. Then eventually I moved to, you know, self-hosting it out of my house. So I think I kind of adapt as time goes on to what's currently happening. You know, if that law where they could put a backdoor and signal happened, I would probably go to something else like Briar for stuff that I really wanted to be secure it's kind of just, I changed my habits based off of what's currently going on. Right. Yeah. There's, there's more than enough uh, motive in the United States. I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, I, just, no. I just want to say that like, that like there, there's a lot of um, um, motivation to, to push um, uh, bypass or backdoor intent in, intent encryption in the United States. Uh, it's everywhere. Now there's, there are discussion in the European Union as well. There have been um, cases where United, the United Kingdom was trying to do that. And with the Five Eyes Alliance, I think the problem is that because of the intelligence sharing, you only need to have this law passed in one country. So do you think that it could be a possibility that these countries like Canada, the U.S., and U.K., New Zealand are using Australia as a backdoor into their own legal systems? I think it might be a little different in the U.S. just because we have a bunch of little countries that make their own laws. Like, you know, technically California has better privacy than Florida, mm-hmm. like on the books. Yep. Whether it's at the federal I mean, level, true, yeah. they could be using it, but it's that might be different than, you know, the U.K. making a, a law that applies to everyone. Yeah, and, and even on Sessions' website, I mean, they try to address the concern, um, and they say because it's decentralized and they minimize metadata at the core because it's distributed over what they have, you know, I'm going to say air quote, community-operated servers, which I'm not totally clear on what a community-operated server is. Is that someone who's has Auxin cryptocurrency and has a staked node part of their network, because I think that's kind of how it runs is over their decentralized network, which is kind of like a similar to Tor, right? But that doesn't necessarily stop 
the Australian government from forcing them to inject a backdoor ver- into a, an, a mobile app update, right? Where it maybe does an additional log of some kind, um, even though it's routing, you're still you're still using your session ID on your device. Maybe it pulls the device ID. Maybe it pulls the IMEI. I, I don't know. I mean, I, and I'm just theorizing here. I'm not saying that it's not worth using or anything, but the fact is that you know we we don't know and we just have to trust a lot of the providers and i'm kind of with josh where it's like i kind of you know i use signal primarily uh to communicate with friends and family on a daily basis i i don't know i i, I trust matrix enough right um you can self-host you can kind of I kind of lean towards things that you could self-host yourself. The only way I could maybe self-host a node is to buy Oxen cryptocurrency. I'd have to research it, but I've done staking nodes in the past um, for uh, for other things, not to do with encrypted communication. But I just it, it's it's hard to know. And it, and when you're making recommendations, uh, whether it's in a video or a podcast or in a chat on Twitter or Mastodon or wherever you're communicating, it's like hard to know how much emphasis and weight to put on it. I guess everything's kind of like has an asterisk with it depends. <laughs> um, I know I've tried to use Briar in the past with just my brother. It's a really hard sell to get people to also keep switching to different apps. I think that's probably why Signal has done predominantly better than a lot of other apps as far as um, a adoption just because the ease of use but uh, you know it's it's yeah it's hard it's hard to say uh and, and and true in the united states people forget that you know that we do have a federal government but states kind of also dictate individually at a state level what their privacy laws are um uh i know california uh colorado uh New Hampshire even um there's some there's some states that have started to push uh, that have passed more strict privacy laws that have gone into effect this year that's something I'll do some more research on and talk about in a future podcast for those that live in the United States but uh for five eyes countries which you know United States is one and one that I live in uh it does make me always kind of wonder how that information sharing is working and, and what, what those conversations are like at that level. Um, because the only kind of intelligence, you can only have intelligence on monitored electronic communications if you can actually gather some intelligence from it. So what are those identifiers they're looking for? What is it they're trying to push for access to? Um, well, I think the other thing too is as much as I hate, you know, Google and Apple for these large corporations running anything. They are motivated by money. And for them, it would be bad for their bottom line if there is a backdoor in their apps. So there's some of the best people to fight this, I feel like, at the federal level in the United States, at least, versus, you know, me posting something on Mastodon or Twitter saying I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. that They're not really advocates, but, you know. At well, the end of the day, they can get behind they, the same cause almost. You know what it is? I feel like they want the monopoly on the data themselves, and they don't <laughs> want to share it with anybody. <laughs> so, uh, you know, maybe maybe there's pros and cons. You have to take the good and the bad with that. 
Uh, at the same time, both companies are constantly in privacy lawsuits. So, you know, it's kind of it's kind of a give and take scenario. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think I mean I think you're right. It takes money to influence uh, that change, at least in the United States. I mean, if anyone listening doesn't understand how things work in the United States, lot most of the laws are written by private corporations. Uh, through lobbyists, right? Through lobbying for legislation to be written to usually benefit that of the corporations. But in some cases, those can align with the, with what can be beneficial for the common person. Um, not always, but, you know, every once in a while, <laughs> the, the stars align yeah. just right. Uh, so, yeah... It's. I'm not trying to raise an alarm on session necessarily. I I, I just kind of picked it out because, again, uh, once again, there are some big influencers. One recently, who I just mentioned, Rob Braxman, who did a whole video dedicated to session and telling people to use it. And I'm not telling people not to use it. It's just you have to do some digging. You have to do some research. And if you're gonna if you're going to spend the effort and time to try to convince all your friends and family to use this new app and talk to me on this app, whether it's Session or Threema or Briar or Signal or whatever, you generally only get one shot to start getting people to convert to something over to something else, especially if they're already custom using like Facebook Messenger or WhatsApp or iMessage or something like that. Um, it can be kind of challenging to s- sell them on it. I always... Like, you know, that guy, you know, that meme that gets passed around the internet where he's like smoking a cigarette in the, alley, you know, in the alleyway, like trying to convince you to do something. That's like, I feel like that guy sometimes when I'm like, you know, this is what we're going to try to do. Let's try to get our conversations over here. Uh, good best practice to, you know, keep it somewhere where it's at least in, in encrypted. And I think that's where Signal still kind of like wins as long as you're okay with your phone number identifier with your friends and family. Um I would much rather communicate on Signal than SMS or most other platforms. Um, and as far as Signal goes too, you know, they've been around longer, which means, you know, all code has bugs. So a newer code base like Signal or a session, they might have more bugs up front that haven't been found. Signal has a larger user base. Therefore, you would expect more bugs or issues to be found versus, you know, a newer project just gaining traction might not be as solid. No, I agree. That's a good point. Yeah, that's also a solid point. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very important. Although, um, and did you did you struggle yourself to uh, convert your contacts to like Signal or or, or did you staying wherever they were and you moved by yourself like I did? <laughs> I have most contacts on Signal. I have a couple who haven't moved, and with those people, I just don't have the types of conversations I have with the people on Signal. And I've told them that when we're talking on the phone, I'll be like, okay. hey, I don't want to talk about this topic because, you know, the government could be listening potentially. So what did they tell you then? Uh, usually what it's just very reaction? non... <laughs> it's usually very non-technical people who are just like, okay, I guess we'll talk when I see you in person then sometime. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, fine. Okay. Because this is this is exactly what happened to me. I was like, okay, well, you are using Gmail. You don't want to go to anywhere else. I'm not on social media anymore. So, okay, we can write letters, but I'm not going to be very specific about what's going on. But on Signal, I, I go I go deep into everything, and that's that's really cool. Um, is is it just Signal for you, or, or do you have any other backup options? Uh, with just 
close friends and family, it's just Signal. Okay. What about that one close friend? That one really close friend, though. I was trying to think of a joke, but I can't. It's <laughs> <laughs> usually quicker, but <laughs> it's all good. Yeah, it's it's all good. Um, it's it's a it's it's not a bad idea to have a contingency plan, though. Is for the really for your for the friends and family. Um, I have some pretty close friends that we talk about stuff. There's certain memes I would never share on a, on a public platform. Uh, you know, it, 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 that's really going to be up to the individual, I think. Right. Um, I always, oh, here's pick, one. Have you, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. So the people who don't use signal, they actually use Google messenger. So they support RCS. So I've been debating on switching to Google messenger so I could communicate with them more securely, but then I'm like, is it worth the trade-off? Hmm. I don't know. There's probably going to be like so much more metadata collected by Google or whoever is, uh, you know, in, in those communications. Yeah, that's the thing. I, yeah. But it, currently it's over SMS, so I'm like, well, what's really worse? <laughs> Good. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's actually, yeah, that's very bad, yeah. Um, so I, I want to I get these two questions addressed before we all fade out of our chairs. Um, one was from a listener, The Tinkerer, uh, who had a message... Uh, directed towards all of us, which I think we've kind of addressed this in previous episodes individually, but I think it'd be kind of a cool thing to just answer in this uh, forum here, which is um, what made you guys go down this walk or this journey of privacy and security? Is there an incident that happened or something in life um, that made you, that you saw or something an event that you realized that led you to this journey on privacy and security? Uh, Either one of you that want to take that first. I don't want to go first. <laughs> I'll go first. <laughs> okay. um, so for me, nothing specific happened. There's a couple of key moments I can remember. Uh, the first was my last year of college when everyone was using Facebook and it was popular then. And one of my friends at the time and I decided to delete it. That was kind of the start, I think, about caring about privacy. The next big moment was at my job. Which job was this? At the first security company I started working at, there was this this guy there. He didn't have a cell phone, or he had a cell phone, but it was always turned off. And I'm like, well, that's weird. So I asked him why, and he's like, well, I have a pager. If someone needs to, they page me, and then I turn on my phone and call them if they need it. I'm like, well, you're kind of weird. And then I talked to him about it, and he said, well, you can't triangulate a pager. And he did all this other weird stuff. Well, not weird. It's just at this point now, it's just privacy stuff. And so he kind of prompted me to look into it more and figure out some different options and start questioning the hardware and software that I was using. And then the last big moment when I started the YouTube channel was when Apple wanted to start scanning photos on people's phones. Do you still stay in contact with that coworker by chance? (laughs) No, I don't. He was, he was an interesting fellow to say the least. Sounds like it. Yeah. (laughs) Be fun to pick his brain. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, he had a bunch of ghost addresses. He's like, no one knows where I live. He's like, I just have random mailboxes I use of other people. And it's like, okay. Oh, that's cool. Um, that's really cool. That's yeah. actually yeah. kind of admirable now looking back, right? <laughs> like, yeah, now wow. looking back, I'm like, I'm impressed. Okay. Dude was a gangster before. At that time, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, this um, was almost 10 years ago, so this was the OG. Right. Um, 
Uh, I'll go quick just because it's not that glamorous. I mean, for me, it was post 9-11. I worked for a large data company. Um, I don't mind saying what it is. Um, it's LexisNexis, and I was a Unix engineer. And um, after 9-11, uh, which I was working there during that time, uh, so if anyone's out there trying to OSINT me, you know, you could give, give you a few key points there. But uh, the Patriot Act rolled out after that without any pushback. And at the, at the moment, I thought it was kind of unusual, um, but, you know, kind of bought into the, the media uh, reasons why it was important to, you know, push the Patriot Act. And... <sighs> I would say probably a year later, there were some interesting things that were happening at the company, um, some software being implemented. And I mean, it's already a major company, but you know, is not, uh, any of our best friends, but it kind of made, it kind of opened my eyes, but I didn't really know what to do. And I was already like into open source software at the time I was using Linux pretty heavily. Uh, I was using it in my job and in my personal life. So it kind of like, it kind of just, you know, it just, it didn't sit right with me, but I didn't understand why completely. And then the big wake up call, um, was obviously after the Snowden leaks in 2013 and just kind of realized like, wow, okay, this stuff is actually happening on such a larger scale that I never really anticipated. Um, and I've, I, I kind of, identify like not not to get like political or anything but i'm kind of very much more some might describe me as anarchist or libertarian in a lot of ways i'm not trying to affiliate with anything but just as far as like mentality wise um and i just was really like taken back by how much we've digressed from individual sovereignty as far as like our what's yours belongs to you um and that things can be um, observed about you without your consent. And still at the time, there weren't really many solutions, but, you know, continued on my path of using open source software. And I have to say that, um, in the last few years, uh, the hated one really kind of opened my eyes to what you can do about it. And, and as well as other, uh, sources and as things kind of became more uh, rose to the surface as far as our privacy is concerned and data breaches and leaks and all this kind of stuff that made me kind of go like, wow, okay, like all these pieces kind of came together over the last 10 years for me. And it wasn't until the last, you know, I would say three or four years that I really started getting serious about it. But I think a lot of that has to do with because there was solutions that were available that you could utilize they weren't all great but they were better um and now i feel like there's so many different uh, paths you can take applications and services and self-hosting does require a bit of technical uh, know-how sometimes but it's it can be worth the payoff and i'm still not where i want to be with all of that but um I, I, you know, for me, that's kind of the, 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 the path that led me to what, uh, I'm doing now, um, both in my personal journey and also creating content to help others, uh, who are discovering their path. So, 
Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. And for me, it was the Snowden leaks that were the final uh, nail in the coffin. And that's when I decided to uh, take matters into my own hands. And that was mostly because I listened to the leaks. I followed them closely. And I also listened to Snowden's personal motivations behind his actions. And that uh, inspired me to uh, do this as well, because I believe that it should be a matter of personal choice. We should not have that um, uh you know, that surveillance state uh, just uh, decided upon us uh, by some some people in, uh, in expensive suits, and that's it. And then I decided that, well, if I can do this, if I can learn this, then it benefits me and everyone else if all, all of us uh, do the same things, if we all take the matters into our own hands. So I wanted to start uh, some sort of an educational project that would uh, teach people all these necessary tools. And that goes for privacy security, but also regarding like uh, uh, critical research and investigations, etc. All of that, that basically um, uh, enables people to uh, protect themselves from abuse, from authority. Um, and we've been seeing that happening uh, a lot um, uh, from our own governments and uh, we should never just uh, trust that hierarchies cannot be corrupted because it happens all the time. And when that happens, we need to have the tools uh, to protect ourselves, our individuals, uh, ourselves as individuals, but also our communities, the loved ones, uh, et cetera. So that's it for me. Yeah, yeah. That that resonates with me because I've, I've also, it, it's like you don't just implement it for yourself, but then try to advocate uh, to the people that are close to you, that will take you, you know, that will actually put up with you, I should say, put up with me, um, and trying to help them, and not just in the privacy aspect, but also helping secure uh, or minimize any damage from breaches and scams and malware. All, all that kind of stuff falls into educating uh, people to be smarter about what they're doing online because we're just hundred hundred percent connected all the time now. So it's, it's like there's the chances something bad happening are so much higher than they've ever been before. And it will only increase in that direction is with IOT devices and always on device, you know, all that kind of stuff. So um, I feel like anything we can do collectively to try to help people understand what the risks are and then whatever, level they're willing to go uh, provide recommendations or at least re- review stuff or tell them how to use it and how to implement it uh, is, is really good. Like, and I, th- and I really like the mix because like the hated one does really in-depth research and content, not just within privacy and security, but the reasons why you would actually care about that. And then Josh, you're doing like incredible tutorials on, doing the implementation, which is really important. And I'm somewhere in the middle and I'm going to, I, I keep saying I'm going to do guides, but now I'm just kind of like, I'll just point over to side of burritos videos and everything. Else. <laughs> I'll just put those on the website. Cause they're so good. <laughs> um, and it, and it, and I understand that it can be really daunting sometimes for people who are not super technical to kind of look at this and go like, great, where do I start? You know, where's, it, it seems like there's, uh, that kind of, um, 
initial impact of like, wow, I didn't realize how much, how much exposure I potentially have. So what can I do? And so what I try to do in my episodes is break them down into like little digestible pieces where it's like, Hey, if you just start here, if you just do this, you don't have to jump all the way from like your iPhone or Android device right into like graphene OS necessarily, but like you can start doing incremental changes and each week, each month, each year, you start getting closer and closer to being the smallest target um, in a data set, if that makes sense. So it's just like people are always going to go for the soft target, the easy target first. So if you're not in that group of people, uh, it doesn't necessarily insulate you from never being um, targeted, but it, it definitely reduces the chances of a hacker getting a, their hands on a data set of a breach, running a script of whatever the email address and password is in that, in that leaked file against you know, 300 known social media accounts, logins, services, banks. And, you know, the more you can try to like reduce by using email aliases, compartmentalization, using password managers, using uh, obfuscating your IP address and your real life identity from everything that you would do online, it doesn't insulate you 100%, but it definitely makes you a much harder target to go after. And that's kind of like where I view myself and trying to guide people into that direction. Um, and so far uh, it's been really enjoyable and uh, I've really enjoyed, you know, conversing with you guys and consuming your content. And um, I, I just, I'm one of those people that's like, I'm an advocate. So when I see something that I uh, believe in or I see something that I think that's beneficial for other people's, I try to, put my arms around it and bring it into the fold. And that's why I enjoy, you know, doing these types of podcasts where I can have you on because, um, I don't have all the answers. I don't have all the experience. I don't have all the knowledge. Uh, and there's only so much I can do, uh, in a day, but when we work together and we can kind of like bring different people in that are like-minded, um, doesn't necessarily mean we always have to agree on process, but it just means that we agree on trying to help people get somewhere, whether it's awakening them or whether it's helping them, uh, you know, solve some of these, some of these problems. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's fun too. It's, it's a lot of fun. It can be dystopian. <laughs> it can be dark sometimes, uh, but it can be a lot of fun and you can kind of turn it into a hobby and, part of your, make it part of your lifestyle. Um, because I've, I, I said on a, uh, I think it was a couple of podcast uh, episodes ago where I said, you know, it's, it's, it's fun. It can be fun and cool to be different, um, to be using a graphene OS phone or to use a self-hosted solution for your data when all your normie friends are using all the normal big tech solutions. It can be, it can be fun to be unique. Um, and that's, that's really what, what it's all about, uh, for me. So, uh, anyways, yeah, I've really enjoyed this. This is, this was awesome. This turned out way better and longer than I expected, but I, uh, I'm loving every minute. That's of what it. she said. <laughs> My man always. Coming. <laughs> um, so yeah. Any, any final, final last minute, uh, recommendations, thoughts. I really enjoyed this. This is, I think, communications lacking in the privacy community for, you know, it is private. So people want privacy, but I think it helps a lot. 
Yeah, I, I enjoyed this too, and I hope that we didn't hurt anyone's feelings. And I just want to reiterate that it is still possible to enjoy any kind of media that you want and be critical of it. So keep that in mind that just because we say anything remotely critical of anyone or anything at all, that doesn't mean that it's uh, now all bad or all good. It's, you know, I think it, we should be just free to point out um, some some mishaps and you know, not, not offend anyone. Right. That's not, and that's not the intent. I want to make sure that people understand that things can kind of get volatile in this community, but um, really it's, it's for their best interest is all I am ever really thinking about and trying to be as transparent as possible about thoughts, feelings, and sometimes, you kind of have to do a check and it doesn't necessarily mean that any of it's wrong or bad. It just means to uh, take everything that you hear, even, even what I say, what any of us say uh, with some sort of um, approach that says like, okay, cool. I'm going to look into this or I'm going to research this and figure out what the best application is for me because everyone's going to have a different application set for themselves based on their operational security, based on the threat model. These terms that we say are really just about like how much what you're trying to limit exposure to and no one can answer that, but you. So um, yeah, just be smart. I will, uh, I will have links to your guys' channels and uh, your social medias and your Mastodons. And maybe one day the, the hated one will get on some sort of, social media that we can reach out to him on, uh, <laughs> besides Reddit. Um, but, um, I will have his, uh, I'll have his phone number posted in the show notes. So you can signal him directly if you, if you like. So, um, that's perfect <laughs> with that. Uh, we'll catch you on the next episode. If I ever fail, just know I'll go again. I never quit, cause I know that every loss may lead to another win. I'm going up. I, I bet when I land, they gon' tell me it's luck again. See that I'm winning, it's harder to watch. So see-